Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash swoopsworld. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L.com forward slash swoopsworld. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Swoops World, right here on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoops World, where you get all you need to know about arts, culture, news, and happiness. Our number, if you want to give us a call tonight, is 562-912-3444. You can always email us at swoopsworld at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, if you want to give us a call, that number is 562-912-3444. Now just sit back and enjoy Another edition of Swoop Swirl on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Swoops World Late Night, Wednesday, March 4th, 2015. How's it going, Peter? It's going all right. Looking forward to tonight. Uh, our first guest, Andrew Peterson. Uh, he's the author of those uh, Nathan McBride novels that I like, and uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about that. The books that got you them. hooked on the snipers. You did, man. <laughs> <laughs> right out of the gate, man. Right out of the gate. And you know, there's uh, there's some other authors I got to need to thank him for you know because when I ran out of his books. Like I told you, uh, the the narrator Dick Hill, who mm-hmm. I think is the best in the business, especially in this genre, I said, "Well, I, I know there's no more uh, no more Nathan McBride stuff out there. Let me see uh, what else uh, Dick Hill uh, narrates." And right. So I found a couple more that I uh, end up going through those series. Uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll have a chance to talk to him in a few minutes. Of course, AD will be uh, calling in a little later. Anthony Davis, uh, you know, five-time national champion from USC and played in the NFL. We could talk to him, and uh, of course, we have our Brewskies beer taste and T-Bones timeout. And all the other tomfoolery that goes around here each week, man. How's your week been, man? Not too bad. Not yeah. too bad. Just sort of casual. Did do a little little boondoggle up to San Francisco. My wife had a, a business thing that we took the whole ki- all the kids, both the kids, I should say. <laughs> Don't want to get carried away there. Sounds like a big brood. There I know, right? <laughs> and uh, went up Friday, and then we had the day to hang out and do fun stuff. We went to the Golden Gate Park and the uh, and the uh, the science center there, the Cal. I think it's Cal or Cal Sun, whatever it is, the Science Center there, which is a cool, cool building. They got like a whole rooftop yeah. uh, that is covered. That's basically covered in uh, it's 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 like a living roof. It's, yeah. it's got plants and all that, and so it's it's way cool. It's a uh, it's a very cool thing. We actually spent a long time there, and then went and had lunch and early dinner, however you look at that, and then had to do the business thing and came home Sunday. So it was busy, a little, little hectic, but uh, it was fun. It nice was, little turnaround. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. It was nice to kind of get out of town just uh, briefly, and, and I love San Francisco, so that's always a fun place to go. Exactly, man. I'll have to get up there sometime soon. It's been a long time since I was there, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, always enjoy the, the city by the bay. The 
Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go to our first break and come back and bring our guests on. What do you say, man? Sounds good. You are listening to Swoops World on the Talk Story Radio Network. This is Rooster Raw. This is called Oxnard. Back in a minute. Oh, on Swoops? Okay. I get connected in about five minutes. pressure is serious and if you think i'm just gonna keep ticking away you're wrong i can quit whenever i want but i like my job just treat me better maybe we can do some exercise on occasion after all we're in this together don't let your heart quit on you high blood pressure can lead to a stroke heart attack or death get yours to a healthy range before it's too late find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure a message from the american heart association the american stroke association and the ad council 
Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Hey, this is Sharp Moe on the Wall, and you're listening to Swoop's World. Yo, welcome back to Swoop's World on the Talk Story Radio Network. We are happy to have tonight as our guest, author Andrew Peterson. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure, man. It's our pleasure. And, and we want to let everybody know that uh, Andrew is the, uh, he's the author of, of the uh, famed uh, Nathan McBride uh, series, uh, which uh, we want to talk about here in a few minutes. But uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, where, where you're originally from, and, and kind of how you got started writing. Well, I, grew, I think, uh, Swoop, I grew up in San Diego and in La Jolla. I graduated in La Jolla High School. Um, and I uh, wanted to go to college, so I, I headed out to uh, Oklahoma and became a, a Sooner. Not, I didn't play on the team, but I graduated at the University of Oklahoma with a degree in architecture. And I worked for some architects for a while, and then I got into a little bit of uh, land development and then transitioned over to some self-storage. But these things really weren't resonating with me. I, I always felt a creative urge inside my soul, and so I, I pursued writing after my wife had suggested that, well, Andy, you you read so much, why don't you try giving writing a try? And, and I did that, and I, it took me a long time to get published, but I, I've been happy ever since. That is awesome. I, I, I saw that when you, 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 when you kind of got, were getting started, you, you won a, a writing competition in San Diego, and, and I guess that just kept, kept, uh, gave you more motivation to keep moving on. Well, uh, Swoop, they paid me $10 for that uh, publication, and I, I think I still have the $10 bill framed somewhere. <laughs> My first sale as an author. Uh, uh, that's awesome. You know, what, what, one of the things I like, uh, you know, I, I got into to your, your book series, uh, and uh, one of the things I like, uh, I really enjoy people who are, are very descriptive in their writing, and, I, and I, your style of writing uh, is so descriptive. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm right there. I, I, I like you know the, the the background that you do the, the backstory on, on a lot of all your characters and even some of the people who who are just you know they're not going to go throughout the entire book you, usually there's something that's said that kind of gives you a little backstory on where this person's coming from and a little bit more on them and, and I want to I want to tell you that's one of the things I really enjoy about your writing style. Well, thank you very much. I, I I'm constantly asking myself when I'm writing. You know, is this going to be interesting? Are people you know, going to want to read this? And so I, I, one of the things I do is I, I kind of uh, I do something really interesting. Probably I don't know too many other authors that may do this, but Dick Hill is my narrator on the audiobooks. Let me just say, Dick guess, Hill is the best in the business as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he, he's amazing, yeah. He's the voice of Jack Reacher, and he's done some Michael Connelly, um, Harry Bosch stories. And so one of the things I do when I'm reading, it's kind of like a litmus test, is I, I, I say, how is this going to sound with Dick Bill narrating it? Yeah. And, if I, and if I don't like it, if I don't think it's going to sound right with him reading it, then I change it until, it, until I do, because I can hear his voice in my head. And so that's, I, I, you know, it's really a guidepost for me while I write. I, I feel it's very helpful. Nice. 
Well, when you, uh, how did you end up developing uh, Nathan McBride's character? I mean, uh, it's a genre uh, that, you know, there's, you know, the, the sniper, he's a you know, former sniper and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's a lot of military-based, uh, you know, technical military uh, terms used and things like that. And I know you have to do a lot of background and a lot of uh, research, but how did you, how did you start with, uh, with that? Well, as a young child, I'd always been interested in guns, and I, I think I won a pellet gun shooting contest at summer camp at a really early age, and I remember they handed me the certificate, and I, I, I'm sure my face just lit up like every kid would, you know, and, and I just really enjoyed the competitive nature of, of shooting. I, I don't hunt. I'm not a hunter, per se, but I, I, I like to say I have very expensive hole punches. So, I, you know, I used that and I thought, well, you know, I've got this background in, in high power shooting, you know, long distance shooting, uh, you know, target shooting and making corrections for wind and elevation. I go, how would I translate that to a story? Well, I thought immediately a sniper. And I thought that would be an interesting uh, dichotomy because snipers, uh, you know, see their, their, their victims up close and personal through the scope. You know, when an F-14 or not F-14, but F-18 driver drops his bombs, he, he doesn't really see, you know, the result of that person, but a sniper does. And so I just thought that would be an interesting character. You know, what is going through that person's head when they're about to pull the trigger on somebody and they have no idea they're going to be shot? I just found it interesting. Right. Well, you know, and, and the fact that you paired him up uh, with you know, with Harvey Fontana, who was, who was his spotter uh, when they were in the service, uh, there's a... There's a uh, a relationship there that that's really uh, it's it's like it's almost like brothers and and I think they kind of mention that at, at, at times throughout some of the books but you know the, the way you blended those two together and and uh, I don't know a lot of times you know when people write they kind of have some people in mind and stuff like that did you have a relationship that you knew of or something like that to, that, that helped you blend those two together so well no I really didn't uh, I, I... I, I've always believed in my heart. I, I didn't interview snipers for this particular series because the questions I would have to ask them would be way too personal and they, they probably wouldn't want to answer them. Right. But I, I've always thought of a sniper team as, uh, as equal partners. In other words, the spotter isn't any more valuable than the shooter and vice versa because they're reliant. They're completely symbiotic. They're relying on each other. So in the story, I wanted to make Harvey an equal um, you know, hey, he doesn't get all the page space that Nathan does, but he's not a sidekick. He's he's an equally integral part of the stories. Right. And so that that I think that's why they're so close is because they went on these ops and they you know were literally in life and death situations. I think it, they share a bond that not too many people do. Yeah, and, and it comes across. And it comes across in the, in the books. Um, you know, and you know, a couple other things. You know, when you, like when I talk about, you know, you, the way you, you develop characters, uh, which I really really enjoy. You know, let's let's go back to like the first one, first to kill. Um, you know, the whole story with you know Leonard and Ernie Bridgestone and the Simtex and all that kind of stuff, and and then the the layers there. You know, the fact that you know Ernie, you know, went went to, <laughs> went to prison for the 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 DUI, and then the the connection to the Ortegas and whatnot. You know, that's a lot of layers to go through and, and a lot of layers to come up with. Um, I, I imagine there's a whole process you go through when you sit down and, and develop characters. And do you come up with a, uh, like, um, a premise first? Or do you have uh, situations that you, you kind of want to work around and, and, and get into a story? Or how, did, how does that work for you? What is your process there? I think my process is, 
an inciting event. In other words, something happens, and because of that, it triggers a whole bunch of other events. So in First to Kill, what happened is the grandson of a former of a retired FBI uh, director uh, went missing, and he he wanted to find him, you know, pretty much at all costs. And right. so that that inciting event is what triggers Nathan and Harv to become involved in the story because Harv is friends with the director's son. And so there was a tie-in there. And so it became personal. It wasn't just, you know, they weren't just searching for anybody. They were searching for a friend. And it, it just, things just snowball. But in the writing process, if you think of a book like A Tree, you, you want to, in thrillers, that is, at least you want to stay fairly close to the trunk of the tree when you're telling your story. If you go out onto the branches, you got to make sure you get back onto the trunk <laughs> pretty soon because that's where the meat of the story is. So right. it, it, you, can, you have to be careful that you don't get too distracted on any one side issue and, and stay focused on, you know, where is the story going and does this scene move it forward, that kind of thing. And to give you, I guess, to kind of sum things up, one event it's a series of if-then if then statements. If this happens, then this will happen. If that happens, then this will happen. So it just keeps going back and forth, and you know, possibilities just open up through that process. Nice. Well, I, 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 I always feel that your books keep, me, keep moving me forward. Um, oh, thank I, you. Yeah, and I don't, I don't find that you go too far out. Of, you know, I, I, I get... A lot of times I read a, uh, read a book, and you know, a character come in, and, and, and then you know, spin a significant part of that chapter and then go away. And then you kind of always wondering a little bit more about that person. And one of the things I do like is that a lot of your characters have traveled throughout, you know, several books. You know, you talk about like Holly and, 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 and Granger and, 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 you know, a lot of the, a couple of the other characters, you know, they, they, you know, they're not always, you know, the, the focal point of the, of the book, but they, they kind of travel through and it kind of, Something that I can, you know, especially a reader who's reading the series can relate back to. Says, "Oh yeah, I remember when you know when they met. I remember you know when this happened and that happened." And sometimes things are referenced, and I and I kind of like that. I, I noticed, uh, I believe it was option to kill, is when uh, uh, Nathan had to break his hand to to uh, get out of the handcuffs. <laughs> but then in the, in the, in Ready to Kill, one of the first things Harvey says to him is, "How's your hand?" So you know, to me, that kind of connects the two books to books up. And I like those kinds of things. Well, well I think it's important uh, swoop in a series that you have uh, events that, that the reader can relate to. And with freestanding books, you don't worry about it so much. Right. That is every story is a freestanding story and it's different characters and it's a different situation. With a series, you are kind of driven by a, not a formula, but a, a set of guidelines that you want to adhere to. In other words, if somebody were to pick up book three, Option to Kill, before reading First to Kill, Nathan McBride will be the same character in that book as he is in the first one. Now, there may be more revealed about him, but his core personality remains the same. Right. He, he, he can't change. He can't get married. You know, he can't go up and have kids and then become like a, a basket weaver. <laughs> it's not going to happen. He has to be who he is. And so one of, the mo one of the more difficult things in the series is to keep that going, but make each story unique and interesting. How, do you, how did you come up with your titles? I mean, they all have a, a similar theme there, and I know that the one coming out is going to be called Contract to Kill. How, do you, how did you come up with the titles and, and keeping uh, to kill in, in each one of the titles? Well, it's, I guess it's part of kind of a brand. Um, you know, Stu Grafton did the uh, Alphabet series. You know, A is for Alibi, and I think B is for Burglar. And, you know, and then I, I believe Janet Ivanovich has a series going with similar kind of... Um, 
you know, titles. And so what it does is it, I, I think it kind of helps with, with, with brand recognition is when somebody sees one of my covers, they all look kind of similar to go, Oh, I, I've seen that before. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's not so much um, a conscious choice as it is just to, you know, make things recognizable as, you know, part of the Nathan McBride series. So when somebody sees that, they go, okay, I know this series. I feel comfortable buying this book. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Brain is a big thing, man. <laughs> well, you're doing it. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I, I really do truly love, uh, you know, you, the way, like I said, you're very descriptive, and for somebody who doesn't know an area, they still get the feel of that area. They can still picture everything that's going around. But it's also wonderful that, you know, a couple of your books take place in, you know, areas of San Diego that I recognize and, and I, you know, I can visualize, uh, and I, I forget which one, uh, I think it was, uh, forced to kill. I think they were running around that area near where the Bahia is and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 So it, 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 that, that's always to me, uh, you know, no matter, no matter what book I'm reading, I always kind of find that when I, somebody has actually used a real location in an area that I know that it just, it just kind of enhances the whole uh, experience for me. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I, it makes it real for me as well. Mm-hmm. You know, my books employ a combination of real and invented places. Like, in, for example, in, in Sacramento during First to Kill, there mm-hmm. is no FBI office that I described there that's completely fictional. And I was worried that if it had been real, that I would be like maybe giving somebody a blueprint to do something that they shouldn't do. <laughs> you know, so I, I kind of have to be careful. I, I, I once wanted to write this book called Cascade Failure. And what it is, is it would be basically a, a roadmap for how, you know, terrorists could turn out the lights on America. Yeah. You know, through a series of, of, of expertly planted charges and you set up a, you, know, you blow up a series of substations in a certain order at a certain time, you can literally you know, overwhelm the entire system. You know, yeah. we take a lot of people, but, but it's, it's possible. And I said, oh, I'm not going to write that book. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. So, you, you don't want to be, the, you don't want to be the, the, the Bible they, re- they reference every time they put somebody on trial. <laughs> just picture these guys overseas, you know, wow, we could do this. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, yeah, that's, uh, so I, yeah, I, I can't worry about it too much because I think, I think, I, I think, I have to tell the story and, and the most important thing is to just get it, get it told. And I, I can't, I can't really worry about too much. You know, I, I know there was a movie way back when natural born killers or something. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think some people kind of imitated that. And, but I don't think most Hollywood types worry about that. I think they just want to tell their stories and get their movies out. Yeah. I mean, kooks are kooks. I mean, we, you can't, you know, what do you do? Exactly. Exactly. Um, they'll find, they'll find I, something to fixate on. So yeah, but nothing, the, nothing you can do setting, about that. Yeah, the settings that you mentioned is really you try as an author you try to strike the balance between how much information do I need to give to to get a picture going without overdoing it to where people say okay m- you know move along, and you know I, I I think it's just kind of done by instinct. I think I've you know gone you know too lean on some and too oh, too over on others, but I I, I I keep it in mind when I'm writing. I find you know the you know the lot a lot of parts of the book you know the books. It can be violent. Uh, I think it's done well. Uh, I think that uh, you know some of the things you know that are discussed as you know whether it's an interrogation or what can happen if somebody did have a bunch of simtex in those situations mm-hmm. or, or, or just like uh, 
who's that guy, Montez de, de Oca, the, the, you know, carving, th carving things up. Um, yeah, he's a pretty bad guy. He's yeah. a pretty bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's not somebody you invite to dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's, a, he's a very bad hombre. Yeah, but, and, and, uh, you know, but you, you, di you dive into some pretty dark places. Uh, how do you get there? Uh, I'm assuming, you, you know, you're just a, your every, everyday guy from La Jolla, but uh, how do you get to those dark spots? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think all of us have, you know, that that element inside of us. Mm -hmm. I, I think we can all be very dark in our thoughts if we're not careful. And so you just kind of tap into it, but realize that it's not real. Um, yeah, there's some really nasty horror movies out there. I, I was watching, I was like, man, this is really, really graphic and gross. What, what I try to do is, is to make the reader uncomfortable without crossing certain graphic lines. So what do I mean by that? I think what you try to do is take somebody right to the edge to where they feel, I, I can't read any more of this, and then kind of ease off so that they can get past it. Yeah. Well, I think there's one scene where a woman is kind of looks like she might, you know, be in real trouble from, from Deoka, but I kind of, you know, let the steam out of the valve a little bit there, toward, you know, and, and made, you know, it's palatable for everybody. So it's, I think it's something you have to be careful. It's not the genre that you kind of, go into those lines with horror is one of those genres that you can really cross into that stuff. You want to get really dark. Some of the, you know, werewolf and vampire and zombie stuff can be, um, you know, Kumar, my, mentioning that my wife and I uh, have been watching the walking dead. I'd never heard, seen it or heard of it before. <laughs> I, I started watching it. I go, man, this is really, really amazing. <laughs> I've, ne I've never watched it, but my son's seen every episode at least two or three times. <laughs> Fantastically disgusting that it's almost uh, addictive. It's like it's how gross can it get? So, but that's one of the things. That, that's one of the things as an author. You just you know, I, it's just not the genre that I that I write in. So I try not to to go that far. I, but my my goal is definitely to make the reader uncomfortable at times. That's good. How to you know you, you, you do sometimes you, you blend some things that were really unexpected and 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 they, and they work so well. And uh, and one of the things is. Um, uh, option to kill. Uh, having a, uh, Nathan uh, spend all that time with Lauren, who's a, as a, as a teenager, basically, or, or, or yes, just I think that she's younger than a teenager. Uh, yeah, she was twelve, I think. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and you know, Harvey's in Turkey, uh, but you know, you move that. I mean, that, you know, if I was sitting around saying, <laughs> explain to Peter, hey, you got to read this book. It's about the sniper, and he's going to be hanging around this twelve-year-old, and they're going to solve all these things. You know, I don't know if he he he, he go for it right <laughs> out of the gate, but uh, you know, I, it's, it really works so well. And and, and what I, I was really interested in is the way that uh, Nathan actually spoke to her, because you know, there's times he you know he would use you know military terms and stuff like that. But you had her at a, at a level where she was very fairly bright, and she mm -hmm. you know she she understood a lot of things he said. But then it was enough of there in there where she would go, well, what does that mean? And that you know they kept it real. Well, thank you. I, I think I, I don't know. Are you are you a parent swoop? You uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you okay? Yeah. I mean, we know how a twelve, thirteen year olds can be. I mean, they're way, way smarter than we give them credit for. Right. And so I was thinking, well, how do I do that but still keep you know the little girl in her at, at the same time and and the vulnerability? So it, it was. I'm glad you. I'm glad you found that interesting because I I really struggled with it, and I, I appreciate you saying that. And one of the things I struggled with is I actually wrote Option to Kill as a serial novel for Amazon Publishing. 
and uh, they I, they wanted to do an episode every two weeks, and so I, we were cranking out ten thousand word episodes every two weeks. Wow. And so it, it was each 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 episode ended in a cliffhanger. And I'd realized toward the end of the book that I painted myself in fairly, you know, big corner. And I'm going, how do I get myself out of this? Because <laughs> you can't go back. They're published, right? You can't, you got to go forward. And so I spent probably three or four hours with my freelance editor, you know, figuring out how we were going to solve that problem. But I think, I think it turned out okay. A few people have called me on it, but not too many. And I could share that with you if you'd like. Uh, yeah. You know, just, um, one of the questions I get from a few of the people that are, that are concerned about that book was, you know, why would he keep her with her? Why would he subject this girl to all this danger? And the reason really became because her mother didn't trust anybody else other than Nathan. And she figured she would be better off with him than dropped off somewhere. Um, well, and that's really I mean, kind of how I, we solved it. You shouldn't have had to explain that. That was, that was right there in the book. I mean, I, I, well, that, I understood I, I that. Got the, oh, well, he'd he just never do that. He'd never keep her with her. And blah, blah, blah. I said, well, you know, it's a, it's a story. And I, yeah, was, you know, the author's taking a little, uh, you know, you know, taking a little journey. And so, but the, the really interesting thing about Option, I think it's my favorite of the books, is that we never left Nathan's perspective. Although the book wasn't written in first person, every scene was from his perspective. Every single scene in the entire book. Yeah. It's, it, and a lot of people go, "Are you kidding?" And I go, "No, that's that's the way it was written." Well, you know, the, the the thing about one of the things I noticed in that book is is uh, you there was you could tell when what we were hearing were his thoughts as opposed to what he was actually verbalizing at a time. And 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 and, uh, and and a lot of times it, it flowed. I mean, it was really not much of a break, but it was to me it was fairly obvious. Okay, now these are his thoughts, and now he's you know he's verbalizing some other things. And and I think with with that book specifically, there was so much that he had to, because he was dealing with a twelve year old, that he had to actually say to her. But then you you hear his process of how to get to that point to what he wanted to tell her, and I think that worked really well. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Like I say, Swoop, I, I really struggled with this book because I'm not a parent. I've never had a 12-year-old. I have dogs. You know, I have trying to now dogs, as Nathan does. They're easier to raise. And so, <laughs> you know, but I did consult. I would constantly ask my wife when we were out in public, oh, how's that girl over at that table? Go, oh, she's 13 or around. And I go, it's really? I'm going, she looks like she's a baby. I think so. It was really kind of an interesting deal. I, I just, I, I wrote um, Lauren from Instinct, mostly, um, I have known, you know, friends of ours who've had, you know, uh, them over. So I, I do have some experience with kids, but not a whole lot. So yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. It means a lot to me. Yeah, it, it, uh, it worked real well. Um, how do you, you know, a lot of times when writing, and, and Peter and I have, have dabbled in some ourselves, uh, you know, you find, you know, you find, in, find a, a specific voice for each character. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, some writers they'll write and you know, I'm reading and honestly I'm not sure which character is actually speaking because they you know their 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 patterns or their speech patterns or the you know phrases they use are so similar but you have uh, you have uh, really hit the nail on the head when it comes to uh, you know uh, different voices uh, you know different 
uh, for each character. I mean, and, and I know a lot of it, and I'm listening to Dick Hill, but my point is, is even so, these, the, the, the style of, of the, each one of them, the way that each one of them speaks lots of times is completely different. So you know, without a doubt, who's speaking at, at what time and what, and you kind of get the feel of th that persona. Uh, yeah, that could be a uh, swoop because they seem very real to me. These characters that I write in these stories um, are spookingly real, really. I, I find, you know, I, I, it's hard to describe, but they, they're just, they're concrete. I mean, they, they're not just, uh, you know, words on a page. I, I, I envision them, I, how they're standing, how they're looking, what are they doing? So I, I would, I, I think we all have friends, you know, that we can, you know, if you're, if you have friends and you can tell by certain mannerisms who that guy is or right. who he is, even if he was speaking on the phone, I think that's what you have to translate to the page. How do you do that? I think you just kind of go with it. You just realize that this guy has certain mannerisms and this guy doesn't, and you just kind of, you write it that way. Awesome. Um, you have to be careful with dialogue. You, you can't really write dialogue exactly the way people would speak or it doesn't come across correctly on the page. Um, written words, you know, uh, reading on a page, uh, don't often look the way they should. In other words, you can't use a lot of uh, slang, you know, a lot of weird spellings and that kind of stuff. You kind of have to write with with how it looks on the page in mind. Right. So with that, you try to get as real to, to dialogue as you can, but there, there's so many things that people do and say, and they're idiots, you know, they're idioms that they do that you can't, um, it doesn't translate well to the, to the page. I hope I'm making sense. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, let me real quick let everybody know that you know, this, you're listening to Swoops World and the Talk Story Radio Network, and we're here with author Andrew Peterson, uh, author of the Nathan McBride series, and uh, we're discussing uh, his books, and, and pretty soon we're going to start asking him about what's coming up, uh, uh, I think, this summer. But uh, I had a question uh, uh, regarding <clears throat> just, like, the process of writing. Sure. You know, there's uh, – everybody's got their own thing, you know. Uh, some people are, you know – we're big fans of Charles Bukowski, you know, just well, big drink a ton of and just see what ends up on the page and kind of what, what is your, you know, what is your, yeah. are, you, are you a morning person? And you just, you pick like, okay, I, I work from, you know, eight to 10 or how does that work for you? And then and how do you deal with the occasional, uh, you know, writer's block that seems, you know, to happen to everybody at least at once? Yeah, but, um, I don't really have a set schedule per se. What I do is I, I generally get up fairly early in the morning, so I'm way up before the sun. The house is very quiet, um, so I, I, I've got like a block of time that I can kind of all to myself where it's really ultra quiet. I, I'm one of those people that kind of need a semi-quiet environment to work. I have a friend that can work in Starbucks. I don't know how she does, <laughs> but she does. Um, you know, and then what I will do is throughout the day I'll kind of – I kind of have to be in the mood to write. It's not something I can force myself to do. So w what I can do if I'm not in the mood is I will start editing what I've already written. Now, if you don't have anything written, then you've got to, you've got to get some stuff down so you can work with it. But I find that working with, with, with what I've already written is really helpful in the writing process for me. Writer's block kind of comes from not knowing where your story is going. In other words, if I am confident with all the scenes that I need to write in my story, then I feel writer's block doesn't really hit me as hard. I get it when I'm not sure where things are going. Right. Now, when I wrote Option to Kill, it was a true serial, so we really didn't have, you know, a concrete, you know, road map for it. So it was kind of written seat of the pants, and I, I liked that freestyle of it. But it, it took a toll on me. It was a lot harder because I, I'm semi-structured in that I kind of know the in, I know the beginning and I know the end. 
but that road that you take to get between those two points needs to be somewhat linear and not, you know, go all over the place. So right. um, that's my well, thought. So then though. along those lines, then do you, <clears throat> do you plot out each, not necessarily down to the, the word obviously, but like, do you plot each sort of scene from, okay, we're, we're at A, we're going to end up at Z and kind of like a storyboard. Yeah. Do you storyboard it? No. Do you outline it? Or do you, is there sort of like, I'm here, I need to be there and let's see what happens. How, how rigorous or rigid is that for you? It's, it's kind of a combination of both. I, I, I know where the story has to go. Um, let's just say if you started in San Diego and wanted to end up in, in Maine, um, mm-hmm. you would have to pack clothes for the end of that trip because if you ended up in South Florida, you'd be, you wouldn't be ready for it. So you kind of have to know where you're going to end up. In Option to Kill, the only thing I knew really was the ending of the book. This is how I want it to end, out here in the desert with, with Nathan and Lauren. But I wasn't sure how I was going to get there. And as I wrote the book and as I turned in episodes, new ideas came to me along the way. So I, I've written both. I've done a very structured outline, not, not structured, but more detailed, like at First to Kill, it was semi-outlined. I kind of knew what the, what the events were going to be. But in Option to Kill, it was really very free-flowing. I can't say I have a preference on either one. I think both of them have pluses and minuses. Um, you don't want to be formulaic and you don't want to write by the numbers. But... Um, it's, it's really interesting. You can be writing a scene and go, oh, if I do this, it's really interesting. Or I think of something that may be, you know, germane to a previous scene that I need to add into a future scene. Everything kind of ties in. If you make a mistake early in a book, then that kind of snowballs out toward the end. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I think you can save a lot of time if you're an outlining writer. But I, I know both, and, and I've heard, you know, positives and negatives on both sides of doing it. I, I find that, you know, you just mentioned option to kill. I mean, I didn't see I didn't see the the, the sister part coming at all. <laughs> oh, good, uh, <laughs> good, good. Which uh, that's, awesome. that's great. Yeah, that was great. Uh, you know, and, and thank I, you. One of the one of the characters that you know comes up in the book is is interesting to watch the relationship between Nathan and Stone. Uh, you know, throughout the throughout the mm-hmm. books. You know, and 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 you know him getting over what he perceived, and 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 you know it's just. Watching them grow together, uh, you know, you get, especially in a series, you kind of get tied into these characters. And, and um, like, you know, I, like I mentioned to you when we were emailing each other, you know, I was a big fan of Stephen Hunter's uh, Point of Impact and, uh, you know, the Bob Lee swagger. And then, uh, you know, then I read Dirty White Boys and, I, and, and I, another one. And to me, they, they didn't grow as much as, uh, as I would have liked. And as a matter of fact, I thought one of them... I, I, I kind of dropped off the series because it didn't. They no longer moved me, and, and I and so far yours continue to keep me, uh, you know, keep me interested. In, you know, anticipating the next one. And that when when I was telling Peter uh, before we came on the air, I mean, uh, as far as you know, things go. I don't know if you know Lee Child, but he owes you a, a, a gratitude because when you when I ran out of your series. I said, "Well, what else? What else is Dick Hill narrating?" And then I went to the, to the whole Jack Reacher series, because you, you, yeah, I had done all of yours, and 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 you know, so I, I, I liked that you know things kept you know t- continue to progress in your books. One of the questions I had, though, you know, there's a couple things that I found um, it could be just coincidental, uh, but I do know that in, uh, in one of the Jack Reacher novels, I think it's 61 Hours, uh, there's a character named Andrew Peterson, and I know that you have uh, uh, Rebecca Cantrell in, uh, in in your in your novels, and I know she's an author. Are you guys do you all know each other? Are these just yes. coincidences or what? Oh uh, well, you know, it's really interesting. I got to tell you a story about Lee Child. It's, um, 
um, I won an auction at one of, you know, we go to Thriller Fest, and, and during a Thriller Fest, I won a charitable auction to get named in one of the stories. And it was, I think it was two years out, it was in the, in the planning. And every time I would see Lee at one of these conferences, you know, from across the room, he would put this, you know, fake gun to his head and pull the trigger. <laughs> That's all he's getting. He's not really going to kill me, you know. And then uh, I thought, well, you know, when I finally, uh, when I finally read the book, I, I spit my coffee out on the keyboard and I got to that scene. Yeah, he, he wasn't kidding. So it was fun. It was fun. It was really, um, I, I, I spent some time with, with Lee. He's a great guy, very kind and gentle man, uh, an extremely down-to-earth guy. I, I like him a lot as a person and an author. He's just a terrific, terrific man. I can't say enough about him. He's just, he's great. A lot of people can kind of compare um, our two characters. I actually wrote the first Nathan McBride novel before I'd ever heard of Lee Child or, or read any of his books. They are similar in size. And background a little bit, you know, Nathan is Marines and, and Reacher was Army. They're both big. You know, Reacher doesn't have any roots. He's kind of this nomadic wanderer. Nathan's very grounded and he has a friend, you know, so they're, they're, they're similarities, but they're very, very different people. And as, as, as you've gotten to know Nathan, you would realize he's much different than, than Jack Reacher. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. I, I think they both have the same, I think they both have the same outcome, which is, you know, good should prevail over evil and, and bullies shouldn't be allowed to bully people. But, you know, other than that, I think they're very, very unique. And I think it'd be great to have the two of them combined in a story. It would be really interesting. <laughs> you know, if they end up fighting side by side in a bar or something. <laughs> go from there. You've got to have at least 10 guys to go against them. Or it exactly. Be <laughs> or a Granger, because she, she kind of almost whipped David's uh, ass. <laughs> you know, I, I like her. I like that character a lot. I've, I've received a lot of emails from people who really like... Uh, Grangeon. She's just a fabulous, uh, really fun to write her, uh, especially that first time they met in that hotel. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> that was, that was a fun scene to write. <laughs> yeah. And, but when you're down and out, you gotta you gotta use whatever's in the you know toolbox. And, uh, <laughs> and giving giving Grangeon the wedgie was the only thing he had. That's all he had left. He already lost his lunch. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I think being an author is an interesting journey. You really get to explore a lot of, of what human nature truly is. We're, we're capable of such beautiful, kind acts, but on the other hand, we're, you know, equally brutal. You know, it's just so that makes an interesting, you know, con uh, fiction is about conflict. And so, you know, just it's a natural fit for uh, the, the thriller genre. One of the things that uh, is, it hits hits real home to me. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I went to visit my cousins, and uh, they were telling me about their dad. And their dad had, mm -hmm. had he had done a couple tours in Vietnam with one branch of the service, and then uh, you know after I guess after two tours or something, he told me, you know you, you you you're out. So then he just walked out and walked across the street and signed up with another branch of the service, went back for a, th a third tour. <laughs> But they wow. would say they said you know in order to wake up our dad we have to stand in the doorway and throw pillows at him because you just can't go up and shake him uh, because you know he'll choke you out or <laughs> bad things will happen. Yeah, and, and yeah, you know, he comes out with his fist up, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know the Nathan goes through. I mean, uh, you know he was actually you know tortured and stuff like that. But the the, the, the he goes through the same things it, immediately. I, I just went back to when I having that conversation when I was about sixteen years old. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that, uh, you know, I guess a lot of people do actually go through. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, the, 
the, the experiences we have as, as people really determine, you know, who we are. And so Nathan has two choices. He can, he can wallow in his, in his sorrow and, and be bitter and angry for the rest of his life, or he can just get over it. Yeah. Now, I know it's easier said than done, but that's really the kind of the bottom line, is it not? You just, you know, I'm going to use my intellect over this and I'm not going to, I'm not, it's just not going to be negative. My, my father did not have a very happy childhood, but he turned into an incredibly loving and kind uh, father, just an example of breaking the mold. He's, he's just a wonderful man and he's been a big influence in my life. So, yeah, I, it, it's overly simple, but really, you know, at some point you got to stop making excuses for your behavior and, and just, you know, Take, take ownership. Exactly. Contract to kill. Uh, what can we expect, and uh, when is it due out? Well, I think the third week in July is looking like a pretty good uh, date. I, I, I'm not sure I have an exact date, but I think third week in July is going to come out. And, and we do see some of the characters from First to Kill return in that. And I can give everybody kind of a hint. It's going to uh, have a private military contractor theme. Huh. Yeah, so... Looking Something we haven't explored yet. So it's, it's, it'll be, as a matter of fact, I'm just working on the copy edits. Uh, you know, I got them back from my editor a few days ago, and I'm working on getting that back to them so they can get, you know, keep going in the production cycle. Good. How important is your editor and, and or publicist uh, to you and, and to, to uh, any author? Uh, they're, they're critical. I, I, you know, I've always said that, that writing is a collaboration. You know, I do the writing. I, you know, I pound it out on the keyboard, but after that, it really becomes a team effort. Uh, it's not, it, it really is a, a, a bunch of people working very hard to make it, make it work. So to answer your question, they're very critical. They're very, very acutely critical in the process. Um, how do you feel? I couldn't, I couldn't do it without them. How do you feel, uh, you know, when it comes, I mean, this is, this is your, your art, it's your craft, <clears throat> you know, how do you feel when somebody says, you know, this sucks, this yeah, is, these 50 pages, uh, you know, or, or, you know what, you did like everything, no, 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 not so much the negative review, because there's always, there's always haters out there, yeah. and that, that's, yeah. to me, both Swoop and I have been artists and done stuff, so, you know, you just learn to just, like, whatever, I, I'm, I'm talking about yeah, more right. the people you trust, <laughs> more than, like, and of well, course, they don't say it that way, they don't say it sucks, but they say, you know, I think you went astray here, and, and I really, they, you know, they're giving you that constructive criticism, is it, everybody takes that differently, I'm kind of curious, is it for you, do, are you welcoming, or are you, is it hard for you, do you, does it make you angry, make you, how do you feel about all that, and how does that process work for you? Well, you know, I, I, I think my initial uh, reaction is, what? You mean it's not perfect? <laughs> um, yeah. No, Do you I, know who I, I am? I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, no, I'm always learning. I, I go to writers' conferences because I don't know it all, and I want to keep learning. And my freelance editor is out of Alameda. His name's Ed, Ed Stackler. Great guy. Um, he works with me before I get to, you know, the uh, Thomas and Mercer stage. And he doesn't pull any punches with me. He's said some things that are just kind of like, you know, Andy, this is not good. <laughs> so I just, I just realized that, yeah, I kind of got off. I went out onto the branches a little too far. Right. If I stay on the trunk of a tree, he doesn't get after me. Yeah. So, um, you know, but you have to get out there occasionally to, to, to paint the picture of what the tree looks like. It's not purely a trunk, but it's got, it's got a form. So you, I think I, I, I used to be a little more defensive, and I think as I mature as an author, I'm becoming a lot more uh, amenable to that kind of thing. It, 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 it just, it, it just it, to, to, uh, to say otherwise and say, well, I can't learn anything from you. You can't teach me anything. And I just, that's just not my attitude. Yeah. Right. 
That was my next question. I think I read uh, sometime back to Stephen King, I believe it was Stephen King, said it, it's, an, it's always a learning process and he's continuing, even though you know he's got a billion books out there, he continues to learn. Uh, is it, is it, does it feel the same for you? Is it always still a learning process, even though you know, you, 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 you're oh, doing yeah, things? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, 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 I was rereading some of the first to kill and I, I was kind of cringing going, oh, yes, <laughs> but you, you know, it's out there. You know, I, I want to, I, I think I'm getting a, to be a better author. I, I really don't want to rush things. I, I don't want to become formulaic. So each of my books is very uniquely different in the way they're told and the storyline. Um, so I, I think the way to do it is to just to keep that attitude that I, I am still learning and I always will be. And if I ever get to the point where I don't want to learn anything, then it's time to hang up the hat. I, it's, it wouldn't be fun. I enjoy learning. I enjoy the process of getting feedback from agents and editors and, and readers and, and you folks. I, this, is, this is fabulous. I'm learning as I speak with you. Um, uh, how many books do you foresee this series having? Is, it, is there for you a... Uh... Like okay, I'm done because you know you hear about those authors who've had especially you know very successful authors who are like, I mm -hmm. am sick and tired of writing this crap. Like, <laughs> I don't want to write this anymore. I don't want to write the. I think J.K. Rowling went through a bit of that uh, with. Uh, mm -hmm. was like I'm done with the Harry Potters. I, I wrote I wrote them seven books, eight books, whatever it was, and now I'm moving on. And people didn't want her to move on. And you yeah, know, um, yeah. do you feel like do you feel like you have an end date? Ten books, five books, whatever, uh, or is this you, you think I, something you could do forever? You know, I really don't. I, I think what will kind of be the, the indicator is if I start to lose my passion for it, like if it just becomes a paycheck right. and I'm just writing for, for money, then that's when I, I got to reconsider because I, I, I want to tell a story. And so I, I first and foremost, an entertainer. It's not about cranking out a book to meet a deadline. It's about telling a good story. So if I don't feel passionate about it anymore, then I, I got to take a serious, you know, soul searching look at myself and say, why am I doing this? And um, um, I think that's the answer. So I, 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 there's at least three or four more books for sure. And as long as I can still feel the passion toward my characters, I'll keep writing them. I think Lee Child's at book 21 now or something. So yeah, he's, he's, still, he's still going strong with it. Um, <laughs> Swoops well, read them all. What I, what I notice <laughs> here, I'm looking, at, great. I'm looking at my notes. Uh, you know, First to Kill was in 08. Uh, Forced to Kill was in, in 2010. Option 2012. Ready to Kill was 2014. But th th those are two-year gaps. And now you turn one around in one year. Is, uh uh, was this one kind of something you'd been already kind of percolating or, uh, you know, did you just feel like I'm, I'm ready to, to get to get the next one out there? Well, it, it you know, it, it's kind of interesting. Some of them were, I think, launched simultaneously. I think first and fourth, uh, first was originally published by Dorchester in New York City, who uh, they were a mass market paperback house and they went under and I got my rights back. And then that's when Amazon Publishing, uh, Thomas and Mercer, their imprint, picked me up and bought the entire series. And so they released, I think, two books at once. And then while, while that was going on, uh, they, you know, I worked on Option to Kill. And then about, I think, 14 months later, I, I put Ready to Kill out. Um, so, you know, the timing-wise, I know some authors want to put two or three books out a year. I don't know how they do it. Um, <laughs> for me, it's going to be about one a year. Yeah. Uh, so I... You know, I'm working on book number, book number five comes out. So yeah, it's it's a little bit more than that right now. But I, I just not something I want to rush. I'm I'm way more into quality than I am quantity. Um, so it's just I have to feel good about it. It's it's not something I want to just crank out to meet a deadline. 
Well, Andy, we, we tried to cover a lot tonight, and I want to make sure that we, we discuss everything that you would want to discuss. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we have yet to uh, touch, touch on? Well, you know, I, I just want to say thank you to you guys for having me and for your service, uh, Swoop, as a police officer. You, you know, I don't think of your service as any less valuable than, than our guys serving overseas in the military. Uh, you laid your life on the line at times, and it, it's, it's, it's equally as an important job. So thank you to you. Um, I want to say thanks to my publisher, Thomas Mercer, and my aide, my editor over there, Alan Turkus. Just a great guy, wonderful to work with. He's very uh, uh, kind and understanding and, and just a, a real good uh, human being. The entire Thomas and Mercer team over there really helps make my job uh, very easy. And it is a team team effort. I, I, I cannot take credit. I mean, I write the stories, but nothing would happen. It's like a hockey game. I mean, the players go out there and play, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes to make them, you know, to get them able to go out there and do that. So, I mean, every from trainers to the people that take care of the ice, you know, everything. So it's it's a it's a group effort, and I'm really thankful to uh, everybody that helps me with the, you know, behind the scenes stuff that nobody ever sees. Excellent. Well, Andy, I want to thank you for your kind words on my behalf, and I really want to thank you so much for 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 coming on the show with us. Uh, you know, I, I like I was telling Peter and, and T Bone here, they know how much I love your books, and then I reached out and I was like. I hope we can get this guy on the show. I just love, I want to talk to him, and I, I was really I was really uh, happy that you you accepted our offer, and it's been a wonderful time chatting with you. And anytime you want to come back on, let us know, and we would love to help you uh, promote and, and just chat with you and, and learn more about what you do. Well, thank you guys. I, I this has been an honor. Really, it's, you guys are fun and, and easy to talk to. It's it's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed this a lot. So thank you again. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Uh, good luck, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be looking out for the next one. That's right. I'd definitely like to come back on your show. I mean, you guys are a kick. It's, it's fun. I <laughs> really cool. enjoyed this. We'll stay in touch, brother. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Good yep. Night. Best of luck. Andrew Peterson, you guys, uh, definitely check him out. If you want to get, click on his website, there's a link to it right on the front page of our, of our uh, site. I believe it's andrewpeterson.com, and uh, you can find him on Facebook. Twitter and all those such of things. This is uh, Jess Rhyme, and we'll be back after this. Just rhyme, the people's patriot In the street every day making change in this And what's amazing is the system gonna hate on this They can't stand a prophet who takes profits and makes babies rich Cause I'm giving back, I'm not Wall Street And I bet I'm black, brown and white, we all eat And we all roll like a thousand swishers and all parole grant five thousand thousand wishes we on a mission and together we are something vicious something like a shark in the dark how we get positioned no talking here my people cause it's a takeover we walk in there and call it state department makeover they call the coppers wanna lock us with the quickness but the world is watching now and the rich are on our hit list and the world is gonna witness this vision when the system fell my people Bring hell to heaven, heaven to hell 
Can't lock us all, saying fuck they love's all Can't pop us all, popping off when they song Can't lock us all, saying fuck they love's all Can't pop us all, popping off when they song Ay. Call us criminal, call us political Either way we all stay prisoners of the system, bro And my missus know I'm deep in the rabbit hole Alice ain't got shit, I was wonderful Who's down the road? Street warfare, pistol polishing We on a roll PhD in hood economics That's the motto though All black everything Including all the politics Binding with the brothers they mutter Just keep on doing it So just keep doing it Strictly for the people though The system can go fuck itself Invite me to the beach show Just rhyme, just gives a fuck People put your fists up top Prison break, shut them down People open up the shop Can't lock us all, say fuck they lost all Can't pop us all, poppin' off when it's on Can't lock us all, say fuck they lost all Smuggling the contraband to homies who get sent up Just about to meet the man put lead up in his head What? Our people aren't the only ones who gonna get it fed up Motivate the prisons from the classrooms to the offices Burning so much down they asking just who is accomplices Godzilla, King Kong, just is kinda monsterish Walkers in the streets take the concrete and demolish it all of us rebellious, we ride till we get free The club is on the block, and just got VIP You see, these bars I got just liberate Opposite of locked up, watch them just emancipate Can't lock us all, say fuck they laws on Can't pop us all, poppin' off when it's on Can't lock us all, say fuck they laws on Can't pop us all, poppin' off when it's on
hope for a little ride. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. we got to talk. Let's take a drive. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Well, that's what I call real drive. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. Talk Story Radio. Hi, I'm Angela Madsen, and I row across oceans, and I've really enjoyed being a guest here at Swoops World. Thanks for having me. It's time for Brewskies, our beer tasting segment right here at Swoops World Late Night, sponsored by DrinksWineSpirits.com. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a brew, and join us right now for Brewskies, sponsored by DrinksWineSpirits.com. Well, happy Wednesday, and welcome to another Brewskies edition here we are uh, tonight we're drinking another one from san diego i gotta tell you man it seems like the only business now that san diego does is breweries man they're just more breweries than any place i can think of uh, which is awesome as far as i'm too bad uh Apparently too... they're better at that than they are at baseball so uh... yeah yeah <laughs> and football um i gotta say when i lived in san diego for like three or four years they uh they had one brewery down there it was la jolla brewery which is no longer in business uh, it was pretty good, but it was tiny. So I was just there at the wrong time, obviously. Yeah. And Ballast Point had just gotten started. I was buying my beer supplies because I was home brewing. Uh, I was buying my beer supplies from them. They weren't actually they weren't actually at the point where they were allowed to sell their beer. You could go in and they'd let you taste it, but they weren't at the point where they could sell it. What they were allowed to sell at that time was uh, supplies to make beer. So anyhow... Timing. It's all in the timing, they say. Yeah. Tonight we're drinking, uh, <clears throat> this is Modern Times, is the name of the brewery. Uh, and this is their, it's called, their, it's, it's their, one of their special releases, and it's called Proto Cosmos. And so I'm going to read what they have to say. It's a little wordy, but bear with me. It's a lot wordy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Protocosmos <laughs> combines the crazy fruity awesomeness of Australia, Australian galaxy hops with the bright citrusy qualities of American autumnum and centennial hops. The dry, cracker-like malt body is super saturated with hop flavor and aroma, allowing you to revel in the diggity dankness of these absurdly expensive hops without any sweetness to harsh your mellow. I'm liking it already, though. At least if it lives it up to it. In closing, they say, Protocosmos is named after an insane underground world described by Casanova, yep, that one, featuring multicolored humanoids, strangely small flying horses, and fruit-eating serpents. So there you have it. Uh, 7% alcohol, 90 IBUs. Uh, this, if it lives up to its billing, should be a bitchin' brew. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We, we've heard these good words before and, and been you let, know, down. let down. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully that is not the case here. So, uh, salute. 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 Oh. 
Hot diggity. Come on. Who wants, who wants that? Who's that? T-Bone, you up? Interesting when I was pouring it out, it, I could barely tell that it was beer coming out of the bottle. Very, very thin, very lightly colored beverage here. Um, but it tastes good, man. And 7% alcohol is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, I'm hoping that this gets a little better with sipping here. It's just, it's like almost, but not quite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I found like that first that first whiff and taste to me had a whole lot of hoppiness to it, um, but since then, uh, it's not. It hasn't met that level again. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's got a good flavor, um, but uh, you know when they they discuss so many different types of hops, and and in there that I kind of thought it was going to have a, a bigger punch with it, which that first that first bite had it. Um, the, the, the subsequent sips. Um, hasn't reached that level again. I guess I'm like a freaking crack horse. <laughs> like, yeah. I try to get, catch up, chase, that chasing that first one. Yeah, never yeah. gonna happen. Uh, but uh, you know, it's, it's it's not bad. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a good tasting beer. But I, I like I said, I lost a lot of what I thought I was going to continue to have. Yeah, I, I think T Bone hit it best. Said it best. Uh, thin. It's a little thin, uh, but I, I do like it, and I do really like the aroma, uh, the bouquet. I, I it. it it actually, when you smell it, you're like, oh, this is, like, I thought this That's was going to be. That's why I hop diggity, man. Yeah, right? this is going to be, mm, mm, and it doesn't quite, so they got it right, they got the nose right, uh, but a little bit on the thin side. All that being said, though, uh, pretty good. I, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying yeah. it, but uh, not quite, didn't quite live up to the, uh, to, the to the hype. The billing. Yeah, the billing, uh, but good. It was a woman. And uh, they, I don't know, they seem like a newer Brewery, they're, they're on the newer end of the yeah, but way. they've already got over well over a dozen beers, uh, labels that they produce, not year round. So it looks like they've only got four that they like four that they stick with. Uh, it's the Blazing World, uh, Hoppy Dank Amber's Hile, uh, Fortunate Isle Islands is a Hoppy Citrus Wheat, Black House, Coffee Roasty Stout. They always got to have a a roasty or stouty, you know, a Y on something. And Loma Land, which is a bright rustic saison. So those are the four main ones. They've got four seasonal ones and about a dozen special releases that are, which is this one uh, falls into that category. So I got to say, this beer is good enough that I would be more than happy to try some of their other stuff. Uh, but yeah, this is just a little bit on the thin side. What's that? T-bone on a scale of what it says this beer is vegan. No, there you go. Huh? I want my beer to eat animals. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Lewis Black does a whole thing about that, like where he's talking about water. And he's like, and you look on the label, and it says 0% fat. <laughs> that says to me that somewhere out there, there's some fat water. water. <laughs> and that's the water I want. <laughs> So when I look at this, and I'm like, vegan beer? No kidding. That must mean there's some non-vegan beer out there. That's the beer I want. Fine. 
you know, sometimes, sometimes vegans, they're, they need that extra. They need to know for sure. Yeah. Because, you know. Because that, that grain could have been fed <laughs> cattle. And next thing you know, your vegan beer is not vegan. <laughs> some dairy in there. <laughs> Boner, you had a score for us. Uh, six and a half. Six and a half. I'm going to give it a solid seven. Well, and uh, I was going to give it a six and a half myself. So. <laughs> Peter, what are we eating with this? Uh, this is not the biggest, hoppiest beer in the in the bunch that we've had. So I'm, um, I'm thinking ballpark food, man. I'm, this totally would go that way. Um, you know, yeah, hamburgers, hot dogs, chili dogs. This probably go quite nicely. Peanuts, yeah, even. Um, you know, nachos. Yeah. Um, this would probably be that type of stuff. It, it full pouch of sunflowers. <laughs> <laughs> that could work, you know. So that thing along those lines, you could do some of the more like a like a wedge salad, you know, uh, that blue cheese and bacon. That this probably hold up okay to that. Uh, so you know those sort of bigger flavors, but not the biggest giant flavors. So it's 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 a good one. It's a good one. And as I said, I would be happy to try these guys out. I, I had their location. They had two locations. Uh, one is, yeah, one is just a tasting room, um, and I'm not sure it's there. Uh, where, where, okay, so they got one in Point Loma, and that's called the Loma Land Fermentarium, and uh, it's got some crazy pictures here. You guys might want to check these out. It's got like, it looks like a wild and crazy sort of place. I got unicorns. And <laughs> it's crazy. It looks like these guys are having a lot of fun. Having a whole lot of fun in there. And then in North Park, they call it the Flavor Dome. Uh, and that's at uh, 3,000 block of Upus. Upus. I don't know where uh, that street is. I don't know where that's. Oh yeah, that runs right past the north end of the hmm. park. Um, anyhow, I can tell you later. You, I've taken you through there. I think. Anyhow, 30th and Upus. Uh, they have that. I don't know how big. They didn't. It says it's the corner of 30 and Upus. So, two locations. If you are down in the San Diego area, I want to check them out. Uh, seems like a cool little yeah. brewery here. Nothing wrong with that. Nope, nope. There you have it, another edition of Brewskies, sponsored by DrinksWineSpirits.com. That's Brewskies, sponsored by DrinksWineSpirits.com. Go there, join the Beer of the Month Club, and you will get a big box of beer containing 12 beers from four different breweries each month, and you also help out the show a little bit. Uh, let's see, what else we got going here before we... Uh, AD Anthony Davis will be, we'll be talking to him in about uh, 15 minutes. So I uh, look forward to that. And uh, want to do some uh, plugs or take a quick break? What do you want to do? Let's take a break. Enjoy our beer, man. Ah, good man, make Charlie us, Brown. going to make us work? <laughs> Come on now. You're listening to Swoops Road of the Talk Story Radio Network. This is It's Okay, and it's called Hip Hop Array. <laughs> to be hard to sing, now it's plain as day, sing a song of hip, hip, hooray. Butterflies, butterflies, just like little clouds, singing songs but never making sounds. La la la, la la la, la 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 la, once upon a time ago to come. La la la, la la la, la 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 la, we go on and on. Good for you to eat Music is nutritious for your feet Please turn on your favorite 
Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something, and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. So many comments on my comment. Hey, guys, check out my wait. new video game. Mom, what? Huh? Pew, pew. What'd you say? This huh? weekend, unplug. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. And now we have an eight-year-old on the line. Welcome to Our World Today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. 
So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Hello, this is Exine Stravenka. You're listening to Swoops World. Welcome back to Swoops World on the Talk Story Radio Network. Peter, Audible.com. Audible.com is the place you need to go if you want to download some great books. Uh, we've such had as? such as <laughs> we've had uh, our our author tonight, our guest tonight was author Andrew Peterson, and he's got four books on there: First to Kill, Forced to Kill, Option to Kill, Ready to Kill, with the fifth one on the way. Yes, in, indeed. In June, I think he said, right? Yes. If if go, things go I think correct, it's like the second week of June. Yeah. So uh, that's one way. Uh, there's uh, lots of other. Cool stuff out there, um, you know. Uh, Soup's been—he's—he's he's doing the whole, uh, the whole sniper, anything sniper oriented. He's got oh, down. Yeah. So uh, I've been doing. I picked up one uh, that I started today. That uh, uh, actually sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. It's a—it's a, it's a uh, basically it's a Sherlock Holmes version. If what if Sherlock Holmes, you know, found somebody as smart as him, who was younger than him, uh, a woman. And uh, they, you know, got along and what might happen. So anyhow, very well written, at least the first hour or so that I've listened to. Uh, lots of great books out there. 250,000 titles, lots of great talent reading these books. Um, and uh, there's an, uh, an offer out there for Audible Trial. Is he going to get it? Audible <laughs> Trial. He almost had it, didn't he? Dot com forward slash Swoop World. <laughs> if you go that route, Swoop's World will earn a few pennies. So you'll first, your, most importantly, your first book will be free. And, um, and then you, you know, if you sign up for the, uh, the program, it's, it's quite nice. You get a credit a month, which gets you the books quite a bit cheaper, especially if you do a little planning, you can find those really expensive books. Yes, indeed. And uh, it's still just one credit. So that's a nice way to go. Uh, so check it out. You can also go to the Soup's World homepage, and it will take you to that location. Banner uh, God. Banner God. they, they got to fix their link on that. But so, audibletrial.com forward slash Soup's World. Technical problems there. But, uh, so check it out. DraftKings, man. All right. If you are a fantasy baseball junkie, you are probably just about ready to lick your chops because Major League Baseball is now less than a month away. In fact... I got some practice games going on. Today, I got a little, uh, I wasn't even expecting it, and I got a little <laughs> notification on my phone from the MLB uh, app saying that San Diego versus Seattle is about to start. I'm like, crap. <laughs> I got a score of a Yankee game. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> it's March 4th, not April 4th. Uh, but yeah. Spring training is in now, I guess you can say full swing, and baseball is going to be coming down the pike in a hurry here, and if you are into the fantasy end of it, 
Check out swoopsworld.com slash DraftKings because if you screw up on your draft, which is very easy when you're drafting for fantasy baseball, you can throw it away and start over next week. Okay? <laughs> it's the great thing for people who are non-committal or prone to uh, rash judgments and poor decisions when under pressure. Um, I think that you could use just about all of those to describe me at this point in my life. Uh, but... Check it out. If you're on swoopsworld.com right now listening, go over to the right side of the page and click on that DraftKings banner. If you are not listening on the website, then uh, at your leisure, go to a browser and type in swoopsworld.com slash DraftKings. You will get a free entry into a big money giveaway. So check it out. Awesome. For all your fitness needs, go go see our good friend Jack Nunn, if you're in the Long Beach area. Indoor rowing, boot camp, personal training, and much, much more. Jack will... uh, Definitely get you uh, in shape if you want to get in shape, you want to stay in shape, or you want to train for some specific event. Uh, go see him. He's, uh, he specializes in a lot of things, but one of the things he's doing a lot of is uh, triathlons and tra- training triathletes. He also teaches uh, junior crew guys, uh, you know, crew, out there crew. Uh, but anything you want to do for your, all your fitness needs, go see uh, Jack Nunn of Rowworks, R-O-W-O-R-X, located at 5750 Bose House Lane in Long Beach. Go to the website at www.rowworks.com or give them a call at 562-688-1716. Let them know the Swoops World sent you. Your first week is free. Where to Bike Orange County? Where to Bike Orange County is a book I wrote. covers... Um, it's still available, right? It's, for now, still available. <laughs> uh, not for much longer, perhaps. Uh, it covers the 80 best rides in, in Orange County. 30 of those are kid rides where you're... Your little munchkin can crash and burn without having to worry about cars. And then uh, the other rides, the 50-plus, are geared towards the recreational rider looking to explore Orange County. Uh, you know, you can, anybody can ride along the beach, but there's some actually really great rides inland and, and that take off from the beach and go other places. Each ride has a, uh, an accurate ride log and map, uh, places to stop, things to do. Uh, maybe a little bit of history here and there, um, and it all dovetails nicely with a uh, companion app. So check it out, Where to Bike, Orange County. It can be found in your local bike shops, your local bookshops, such as places uh, Barnes & Nobles are carrying them, as we've talked about. And um, you can get it by going through the Swoops World page. that one working? That link working? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I caught Swoop. He was snapping over uh, here. Yeah. Uh, anyhow. Multiple, multitasking. If yeah. you go that way uh, and can get it delivered straight, uh, goes goes through Amazon, gets straight delivered straight to your front door, and uh, Swoop's World will earn a few pennies that way. So check it out. Where to bike, Orange County. You can go to, if you look at the homepage on Swoop's World on the right side uh, column there, there's a lot of different links. Uh, each one of those supports the show. You got uh, you have the DraftKings, you have the Brewskies, uh, you have uh, Peter's book, as well as a couple of other uh, of our past guest books. You can find out how to get more fruits and vegetables in your body, how to grow your own uh, produce in small places or large places. Tons of things there. Click on those. Uh, take a look at them all, and uh, you can uh, help out the show a little bit. Do me a favor. Make sure all his dials uh, are the same as ours, which mine is the same as yours, because uh, his is comes uh, right there. Okay, mine's, look at his, uh, uh, that's his column there. Just make sure his all match up to the ones. This is him. No. This is you. That's me. Okay, I'll make sure his matches up to mine. Everything looks the same. Buttons all the way to the top and uh, all the little the little dials all the way up are the same. Talk, brother. 
Can you hear me now? Can you hear me You're now? Still kind of low. Uh, what about those little buttons up at the top uh, column? There? Are they the same? Are they the same ones pushed down and what pops Go! up? <laughs> you know, you we will be calling Anthony Davis here in about two minutes and uh, see what's happening with him and what he wants to talk about this week. AD's always got plenty, uh, plenty on his mind, so we're uh, looking forward to chatting with him. Oh, Bob Case is calling on my mobile phone. Uh, I got, I, I'm multitasking here. I'll have to catch that in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to give AD a call here in just a second. Let, you know what, let's take a quick break. and uh, we'll, Let's get our stuff figured out and, here. Uh, yeah, I just missed that. We'll take, Situated. Uh, just get his, his, get his dials all dialed in. Take a quick break. Uh, this is J.D. Nash. Remember November. Talking for hours, living our lives, taking our time It's going on three years now And in my mind you're still the same
Good evening. Good evening, Anthony Davis. We want to welcome A.D. Anthony Davis, five-time national champion over at USC, football and baseball. He was also in the NFL, World Football League, and a little bit of trivia. 1975, he led the World Football League in rushing with 1,200 yards, 16 TDs. And, uh, yeah, he even threw a touchdown pass. And the closest guy to him was uh, about 300 yards behind him. How you doing, man? Oh, God, what a rough day. (laughs) (laughs) Some days are better than other days, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I I just found out a little bit bit of trivia about you, man. I didn't know you you led the World Football League in 1975, man. I'm doing a little research here. You... Pretty, you're pretty decent. You're a pretty decent ball player, weren't you? <laughs> well, I try to do my best. You know, I mean, I had a great coach in Tom Fears, and uh, who was a Hall of Famer coach in New Orleans Saints, and offensive coordinator named Dave Dementia. He used to coach with the Chicago Bears, and and coached a great, great Gail, Gail Sayers. So, those, those those are my best coaches in professional ball. If I'd have had those kind of coaches where I was professionally, I lost you. Can't hear you, AD. Some people flourish, you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's awesome, man. And uh, we got we got plenty to discuss tonight. Uh, there are a couple of things I want to want to touch base with you on and see if you if you've heard about these situations and, and, and what your thoughts on them are. But let's let's just get started with some of the basic stuff. Uh, you know, uh, last week. Uh, Herm Edwards uh, was on uh, ESPN, I believe, and and he was talking about some things. And I know that he touched uh, he touched a little, uh, uh, you know, some things for you. Uh, what was he saying that that you that brought brought your attention to, and and, and what you had to say about what he was talking about? Well, I think he was he, he was talking about uh, uh, a lot of different things about the era he played in and. Uh, the 70s and the 60s and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of people, he was talking about the quarterback situation and and, and, and he was being really soft, but I'm, 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 I'm just going to tell you the way it is. The bottom line in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, they just weren't letting, he was talking about black quarterbacks. And, they, and you know, black quarterbacks did not play and they didn't allow black, ball, black quarterbacks to play. And I'm going to name you a few guys could have played in the National Football League as quarterbacks. Marlon Briscoe, Played with Denver and Miami Dolphins, two Super Bowls. Could have been an NFL quarterback. He didn't play. He was a wide receiver, a slash backup. Then you got James Harris, who did play a little bit with the Rams. And you had a guy named Con- you had a guy named Jimmy Jones who played at SC. Could have played in Nashville. Never had a shot. Had to go to Canada. A guy named Condra Charlotte went to Tennessee. Had to go to Canada. But you know, Ben uh, Evans, who did play with the Chicago Bears a little bit. You know, really never played. I mean, he played 19 years in the league behind as, as a Raider backup who could have played. Warren Moon, who, who, who played with the University of Washington, had to go to Canada five years before he came back. In it. They just didn't let him play. And the guy you're talking to on the phone, and I'm going to say this, and some people might question this, I was a, uh, a quarterback out of high school, never recruited because they weren't going to let me play. And, uh, and frankly, could have played Division One and in the National Football League as a quarterback. I believe that. That's how much I, I put my, my ability to certain people. I was the same. I was, I was bigger than Michael Vick to throw it, run it, the whole deal. But the bottom line is they just not, did not allow black quarterbacks to play quarterback. And a, and a lot of the myth of the black quarterback is that they didn't have the intellectual whereabouts to run a team. And then in some cases, some people thought that the whites would not follow a black quarterback. So... Uh, 
he, he didn't go that far, but I'm going that far, and that's where it's been. And, and you got to understand, the first true first-round quarterback was Doug Smith in 1978. And I, I can tell you words, stories I got out when he, when he, when he came to negotiating. The, the Buccaneers didn't want to pay him what he probably deserved. So he went to the USFL, came out of the USFL. Joe Gibbs gave him another opportunity to come with the Washington Redskins. He was the backup, then became the starter, and became the first black quarterback to lead a team to a World Football League team, a, a, a NFL championship, Super Bowl championship victory. So that's basically what Herm was talking about. Uh, Herm came in the league two years after I, I was drafted, came in 1977, was a great player. And I'm just telling you, a lot of these guys soft-stepped this in. Just tell it the way it is, because that's the way it was. And anybody you talk to played in that era will tell you that. I mean, the great athlete is, was, was there then like it is today. It just said they didn't allow us to play. Yeah, you know, actually, I do remember that era. I remember, I remember hearing uh, people talking about, uh, you know, some of these – some of these kids were, were outstanding quarterbacks. Uh, they said that when you know when they went to university, they were going to move them to safety or receiver, or they weren't going to let them play quarterback. Um, and then uh, you know a couple of guys. I think you know, uh, you know I think uh, Doug came out of Grambling, so everybody on the team right. was black. Um, but I do remember hearing it's just situations where guys did play in college, a few. Um, but they weren't going to have that opportunity in the pros, and they were going to move them to, you know, to like I said, safety or wide receiver or something along those other lines. Um, and that was happening a lot then. And I do remember when we started seeing more black quarterbacks make it into the NFL and playing, playing in, in the, in the, you know, D1, uh, on, you know, big time on, on NBC or ABC and you know, Wide World or whatever the weekly weekly games uh, on TV. Um, that it was, uh, it was actually something uh, special. I've, I mean, you know, as far as you know, people talking about it, I mean, it was. It it was always brought to somebody's attention that, oh, did you see so and so played a black quarterback yesterday or whatever? So, you know, and that, and that was just, that was in the 70s. You know, that wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't back in the 50s or 40s or whatnot. And, and uh, you know, you, you talk about that, and, and you mentioned the first black quarterback, and then, you know, playing in, in, in the NFL. Also, last week, uh, the first uh, black man who played in the NBA passed away, Earl Lloyd. And I have to admit, I didn't, I didn't even know who Earl Lloyd was. Until I, you know, I heard, I heard about it. Um, but you know, he, he played in the NBA back in uh, 5051. Uh, he was the first one to play in the, in the NBA, and uh, he's, I guess, he's in the Hall of Fame. But I'm telling you, I, I had never heard of him. Well, first of all, you know, let me say this to you: the, the, the most prominent black quarterback. I'm going to get back to this first NBA player. The first black quarterback that played in a prominent university was Jimmy Jones. Okay? Jimmy Jones played at USC, and I have to take my head off from the cape for allowing him to play. He didn't have to do that, but he, he broke ground there. But Jimmy Jones played who could have played in the National Football League. Going back to this NBA player, the first black to play in, in, in the game, you see, the thing that I've always said back in the 70s, one thing I got myself in trouble with, 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 the, with, with, uh, with the press was, I told, I told the late Jim Murray once, I uh, never printed it, but I told him, I said, you know something, I don't acknowledge anything past 19, anything before 1960. He looked at me and says, why? I said, Cause they, because it was, we lived in a segregated society, and, and, and it was a black league and there was a white league. So how, how, how can you talk about having a fair playing ground when you didn't allow blacks to play? So so far as I'm concerned, when I was a 19-year-old kid, I said that, and he looked at me like, Wow, you do that does make sense, but he never printed it or never talked about it. And late in his years, 
he 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 came up to me and said, "You remember what you told me in Heritage Hall in 1972?" I said, "Yeah, absolutely, I remember. How am I going to forget that?" So so when I think about this, because listen, Keith, I was born in Jim Crow. I was born in 1952. Okay, you know, I, you know, you know, I, I saw the marches. I saw the segregation. You know, I, I saw the quota systems. I saw the NBA. You know what was of the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball. I saw all that stuff. My idol, who who tried to get me to play Major League Baseball, Willie Mays, uh, game, and I know what he went through. I know what Hank Aaron went through. So all I'm saying to you is that I've seen the evolution of you know, blacks come through through the ranks. And for these young blacks today, mo- the thing that the, the sad about most blacks today playing the game of all the major sports, they don't know the history. If a lot of these guys were really conscious of the history of who the forefathers were before them, their attitudes would be different for on and off the field. So, so, so in a light tone, that's what Hearn was talking about. Because his father's from the military background, and obviously you can see the discipline he has as a coach and what he does on and off. He's always been an upstanding citizen. So I'm just saying to you that he soft-pedaled it, but he was telling the truth. And I'm, I'm going overboard. I'm telling you that it wasn't going to happen. Right. And I knew when I was coming up, it wasn't going to happen. I knew I was going to get changed. Like most of us coming out of high school, no saying, especially in the 60s and the 70s. Well, when you look at, when you look at the, the players that are playing today, and, and, and you, know, you and I have talked about it, you know, some of these guys you know, have, a, you know, have had some off-field issues. Not, I'm not just talking about the black players, and I'm not just talking about the quarterbacks. I'm just talking guys in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the NFL. Um, and it seems to, what I continue to hear from past veterans, uh, especially when you're talking about minorities, is they, they their thing is, is these young guys don't realize what we went through to to make, give you this opportunity, and and now you're just squandering it and um, and it, and it pops up quite a bit lately, um, you know, across the board, and, and you just kind of kind of touched on it just now. What do you think? What do you think uh, needs to be done, or how do you how do you explain to people that they you know? First of all, to me, if you're paying me millions of dollars to, to do something I love. You don't have to do a whole lot of explaining to me, but I'm just kind of curious. What do you think uh, has to be done in some of these guys who don't don't respect uh, the the ability that they have and uh, the opportunity they're given? First of all, if some of the guys are still living around, I, I would like to see the NBA, Major League Baseball, and National Football League go back to some of the old greats that are still living and have a, a, a symposium to talk to these young knuckleheads that are out there doing stuff. So. The great Jim Brown, the great Gail Sayers. And, whoever, and whoever's out there of those ears that can come up all the way up through the ring, even through the 70s, even bring guys in like me who can tell them, you know, the do's and don'ts of what happened and, and, and what we've done to have it make it better for you, to what you the money you make, endorsements you get, and things like this, how, 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 how corporate America has embraced you as a black athlete and how, and how things have changed tremendously. That's what, that's what these three major sports should do, is bring back these guys. And, and also, that will help them with their product, with, with their brand anyway. Yeah. You bring a great Jim Brown back and let him talk. You might have your, some people might have issues about JJB, but let me tell you something. JB broke down a lot of walls for a lot of these black athletes. And, you know, and when I see some of these people doing some off-the-field stuff that's outrageous, I just, I, I just cringe because there's no way we'd have got away with that, some of the things these people do. So I'm saying I would reach back and get some of the greats of the past who made the brand 
on all these levels. The Bill Russells of the world, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, and, 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 and the Hank Aaron. Bring those people in and talk to some of these people. I mean, you know, you, you got nothing to lose. Right. Will, will, will we reach some of them? I'm sure we'll meet some. Some some will still be knuckleheads. But the bottom line is we're the one that created the brand and stuff like that. I mean, come on. From Jackie Robinson to Cool Papa Bill to, to, to Don Newcombs, you know, all these people who who uh, who broke the walls down for, for us to play, you know, and, and do what they do today. Yeah, That's what they need to reach out to if they can. What do you have to lose? <laughs> especially the last couple years was going down with the NFL. Yeah. I mean, you know, you – you need to bring in people like that. That's my opinion. Some people might say, you know, AD, you're smoking something. Well, well, well I, I'll I can reach back to the people who broke the walls down. Because you, if, you, if you put us all in the room, like a Jim Brown or Gail Sayers, or, and then move up into the, the, the 70s years and start talking about that, Bill Turner, we'll just shake our heads and we'll say, wow, can you imagine what's going on today? So, I mean, I can tell you, I, without even being in the room, I can tell you what they would respond to. We, uh, we're going to touch on a, a lot of things here, and, and so I want to talk to you about some of the things with the, the free agency and, and, and uh, franchise things and everything. But before that, I want to kind of I want to go back a few weeks. And you, you bef- a couple few weeks back, uh, we had a, a guest named Bob Case, and uh, um, right. Bob, uh, very knowledgeable and whatnot, and, and he said a lot of things, uh, and he talked about. His issues with uh, your alma mater, uh, AD Pat Hayden, your your former quarterback, and uh, you know it's got a lot of a lot of a lot of listens, a lot of comments and stuff like that. And and he mentioned some things, and people said, "Well, he can't he back it up and whatnot." Well, one of the things he mentioned was he he kind of said that uh, uh, that uh, Hayden had sold out the university as far as TV rights go, and 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 I kind of remember reading something about that, and then I, I kind of you know went back and I kind of figured out where it was. And it was a book called The System, uh, written by Armin Kintay and, and uh, Jeff Benedict. And I don't know if you've ever read this, and I don't know if you heard Bob's interview, but I just want to—I want to touch on a couple of things here, and I just want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, back, uh, I believe, in uh, 2012, about um, the ADs were getting together and they were, and they were divvying up the uh, the conferences, and they, you know, we're creating the North and the South. There was an athletic director from uh, Washington State University named Moose, and uh, he figured this is a good opportunity time to make a to make a money grab on tv rights uh usc and ucla had already always gotten the the big the big bundle out of it all and uh he actually set up a plan uh he said he started laying the groundwork uh when they had an ad conference and uh, the agenda was to uh to get get the bulk of that money uh, from usc and ucla he also said that um during that time uh university of washington had consistently voted alongside SC and UCLA, but they were coming off of, uh, the worst season ever. They were the only team in the in the in, in the nation that went 0 and 12 that year, and they weren't looking oh. they weren't looking for something. They weren't looking to do any better the next coming year, and you know they weren't getting a, a big a big pipe. They weren't getting any TV, so they weren't getting any TV rights. So this is uh, this Moose guy. Apparently, uh, he he kind of had a plan, and he kind of said that. They wanted to do a, a, a grab, you know, for a bigger percentage of the money. And uh, SC and, and UCLA said, "Well, we we deserve the bike, big, you know, the bundle of it because we play in the largest market. We play in the LA market." And his response was that the Giants uh, don't get more than the Green Bay Packers, you know, and they both, you know, they're doing pretty well. And they said everybody except SC and UCLA was with Moose uh, at that time. Hayden. 
uh, he stated that he, you know if they didn't go it didn't go his way their way he was going to leave the conference and he said Stanford's AD Bob Bolsley Bolsby had no patience for Hayden's bluster and called him out and called his bluff saying everyone knew that he wasn't it wasn't going to happen he wasn't going to leave the thing. Bottom line was, uh, I don't want to go through this whole book, uh, but the bottom line was, is what he did is they got SC and, and, and UCLA to agree to uh, pay everybody basically an equal share, uh, but SC and UCLA would get a uh, $2 million, I believe it was a $2 million bonus uh, premium with a, sun, with a sunset clause, and the sunset clause uh, would end when the entire... Uh, TV revenue for the conference reached $170 million. This guy moves, basically says he knew this was going to happen. He said he kind of set him up and knocked him down and, 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 and beat him at their own game. I don't know what your thoughts on about that and about the revenue sharing and all those kind of things. I know that's all business-wise, and it's, it's, you know we're talking about TV revenues and stuff like that. Uh, our guests mentioned that. Uh, people would question it on some of the comments on our site and other sites. This is what backs up his statement. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Have you, have you heard anything about this book? Have you heard anything about these, this, this issue or the stories? When I've heard some rumors about the book. I haven't read the book. I've heard some things about it, but I don't know the, really the, the criteria of everything that's going on. But I would put it this way. Let me say this to you. USC is the king of the conference. USC has more national titles in the conference. USC has been a prominent TV, TV sports university for 40 years, I mean, USC, national championships, great players, All-Americans, Rose Bowl appearances, you know, national champions. I mean, yeah, SC's carried the conference. Now, I don't care what any athletic director says in the conference, but I believe that SC should, should have held their guns, and I wasn't in the meetings, uh, you know, and I'm just first time really hearing the depths of this. I'm just telling you that uh, – SC should have held their held their guns. They are they're the ones to carry UCL and SC, especially UCLA with their great basketball program. And they'll see they are the they are the anchor of of the conference. They're they're the two of the, the top universities in the in, in the United States. They deserve the the lion's share of the revenue coming in because they, when people look view the Pac-12, they think of SC UCLA. They're the anchor schools. So I don't know how the negotiations went. I don't know how it, it was a lot of pressure, but I would held my guns. There's no way I, that I'm going to give up what, what we've earned and what the university's earned over the years. In the, that's earned. That's our brand. USC is a, is a national brand. When you go around the country and you talk about intercollegiate sports, you think about SCUCLA, the John McCades, the John Wooden. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it speaks for itself. Now, now I don't know about you know him breaking off from the conference, but who knows? That might have been, who knows? That could have been a good idea. I, I don't know. But I'm just saying. But 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 if they gave up more than their share, I don't think that's a good deal. Um, let's talk real quick about about what's happening in NFL this week. Uh, you talk about uh, you know guys getting tagged with the franchise label and and and, and people have been you know big big trades are being made. Looks like the Eagles gave up, you know, a, a very, very good running back for a, a, a linebacker to play for the Bills. Um, the interesting thing is that I learned this week is with the, with the the franchise tag, 
uh, guys are guaranteed to make, I guess, equal to the top, uh, the, the, not equal to, but uh, the, the average of what the top five people that position make. They can be tagged with a, as a franchising twice. Um, they say a lot of times it upsets a player because you know, sometimes some players think they deserve to be the top paid individual, and sometimes they don't like they want to test themselves on the free on the free market as a free agent. What are your thoughts about the way it's used? Is it effective? Does it does it create tensions in the locker room? Does it create tensions with uh, between the player and and the executives of the, of the organization? Or is it just a lot of hype that we're hearing from uh, the pundits on on, on the uh, on all the uh, sports shows? Well, first of all, it varies from team to team. You take the Cowboys with with uh, with their situation with their wide receiver and running back, and uh, you, you you take the situation with the Eagles trading Shady you know, Shady McCoy. To me, that was a mistake, and that they got somebody that's better than him, and they feel they can do. But I just believe a lot of it, depending on the organization. Can, create dissension in the locker room. Uh, it's a negotiating ploy. Uh, it could be issues about on the field or play off the field. I know it is that is that's the way it is in Dallas based on what I'm hearing. But uh, uh, I just believe I, I just believe it's more of a negotiating ploy with the teams and you tag someone and you know if a guy's looking at a, a four year thirty million dollar deal and and, and uh, and then, you know, versus like, you know, if, if they want to give a guy a one-year deal and tag him and give him so much amount of money, then it, it, and if he it, if he comes out and does well. See, what happens, it puts more pressure on the the player to do well if they tag him for one year. Mm-hmm. And anything can happen. He can get hurt. He can, his numbers can be down. And so, therefore, okay, if, if you're going to be so good, we're going to tag you and you're going to perform. And if you perform with, within that one-year tag we put on you as a franchise tag, then we'll pay you your money. Well, Des Bryant, I believe that that he should get paid, but there's some issues going on with him with the Cowboys that I don't think we that, that we've known publicly. You hear about the incidents with the off the field with the police and stuff like that, but I believe that there's something more deeper going on with that. Well, the rumor is is there some kind of video or something he did, but the the, the also the the backstory in that rumor is that it's from five or six years ago, so I I don't know you know how you know what you what you do with that. <laughs> You know, you, you, you figure five years, guy has to mature. And then, like I said back in my early conversation, you know, if it had been 30, 40 years ago, somebody would have done that the first he, he he wouldn't be on the Cowboy team, number one. Number two, he'd never been drafted like that. And then number three, if they came, if you do anything else, any instant, you're gone. So, therefore, I believe in the last five, the man has to mature. And if he hasn't, man, shame on him. You know, but, but you know, obviously the way the kid, the guy was raised and stuff like that, I mean, he, he's, he's – I think the man has grown into a man, but if they're still on that over his head, then they feel like if you give a guy like that more money, and then, and then you have so much guarantee, he's he got some leeway because a lot of the money is guaranteed. I think they feel that he might develop another type of attitude. I'm really, you really can't put a hand on, him, but but the but all the way, all the things they talk about about him, on and off the field, is like if he if you gave him this money, and it's a guarantee, and a lot of it. That might alter his personality, how he deals with his teammates, and how he deals with management and, and off the field activities. That's the only reason why I think they were doing it. But other than that, and if, and if he's mature, like some people said he has, just give the man his money. I mean, you know, I mean, it, without his playing DeMarco Morrow's performances, uh, you guys wouldn't be where you are anyway. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, it, you know, these two guys are good enough where they could have been in the Super Bowl, but 
you know, as you know, uh, if you, you play, if you have wrong play calls and you call the wrong plays in the wrong situation, you're gonna lose. One of the things that I find interesting, also, and and, and you know, I I still think it it, it the it, it still tilts. It's like Vegas, man. I think it still tilts to the house, still tilts in the owner's favor. Mm-hmm. You can give a guy a big contract. You can give him, say, $100 million for five years, and right. after year two, you decide we're going a different direction or you're not cutting it. And, uh, yeah, you, you kind of just destroy that contract, and uh, nobody else is going to pick it up. And then, and the guy's career is kind of over. He still might have some time to play. Right. Uh, right. And I don't well, you know, know you how pick, fair that is. Well, well, well you, you take the Tony Romo situation. They paid him all his money, but, you know, he they, they, they have gone to the Super Bowl. I mean, let me, let me say this to you. You know, you, know you, you can say how good a guy is, but, but your measure today, especially today, of championships, there's, a, there's, one, there's that level and there's other levels. And, that, and no one in, that, in that, that Cowboy organization, other than the Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith in the urban situation, has won Super Bowls. You've got to win a Super Bowl. Now, put it this way. If they didn't went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl, they're paying both those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to give them Tony Romo type of money in their category. But, I mean, if you look at Tony Romo, look at the money he's paying. Look what look, look, and not only that, you know a lot of it's guaranteed, so that's the reason why they ain't got rid of him. They got, all, they got a big investment in him. So therefore, that can create a friction in the locker room, too, based on the money he has and stuff like that. And if you, and if you get guys like Dez Bryant and DeMarco Murray and have those guys get you almost to the footstep to the Super Bowl and you're not going to pay them, that can create some tension. And that, and that goes, like, around the league, too. Yeah. Now, in that particular situation with Dallas and Seattle and the Patriots and all these guys who are close to the Super Bowl, now everybody else is a little different situation. But in, in the Cowboys situation, I'm telling you, that creates some, some friction. Now, if Tony Romo, within the course of his contract, has won a Super Bowl, there's no, nothing nobody can talk about. But I, but I have to believe that me being a former player and knowing how those locker rooms go, there's got to be some kind of dissension going on. It will be if they don't, if they don't give these guys – Correct money, and and that extends out to other teams too. But but I, I I talk about the cowboy thing because it's very prevalent because of how they're paying Tony Romo. Even though I know the quarterbacks get the highest paid players, but still you got to pay these guys equivalent for their position, like they got to do Romo, and especially if you had won a Super Bowl. Yeah. And they gave him that money based on him going to win in a Super Bowl. I know how Jerry Jones thinks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really it's it's interesting when you, when you in all sports, unless you're talking boxing or wrestling or something like that, tennis, golf, but all team sports. You know, it, it takes it takes a whole lot of people to make that to make that happen. And and, and when you when you say that, uh, and everybody says it, that this quarterback you know has not taken his team to the Super Bowl. You know, right. it might not be his fault. I mean, he's got you. Know, they got to right. surround him with you know twenty one other guys right. to, to make it to make right. that happen. Right. Well, the thing is, you know, I mean, you're right about that. But the bottom line is, if you want to keep a cohesive team together and an attitude team, strong attitude with the team. You need to pay these guys because, first of all, that is your future. And if you got somebody that's better than the, the, than those guys, then you know you can pay them accordingly. But who who do you replace with? You know, the, the other teams not gonna give up their top players. I mean, do you bring do you bring do you bring a uh, do you bring a Adrian a Peterson in, into a Dallas Cup? And that'd be great, but that's not going to happen. So I mean, that's only guy I know the market. There's a, a, there's so a I'm place. just saying. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just I don't know how you can how you can do that. But 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 if I'm the Dallas Cup organization, I sign these guys, and lock them in, 
because you know those those are the guys that got you there, and those are the guys that potentially going to get you there. And and then after that, you know your coaching staff's got to get around. You got to figure out putting the pieces around to make these guys better. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's it, it, it's a collective machine that has to work. And uh, and if you don't have the people that know how to pull the strings and make this stuff work, and from management to the field, you're gonna have the same old cowboys. Yeah. You know, back back uh, back when I was a, a, a young man, um, there were uh, you know like like this week in Dominican Sue, uh, he didn't get the franchise thing. Uh, they're not sure what's going to happen with him. Uh, you, you mentioned Adrian Peterson, but you know back in the day, there was always a place for those guys, and it was called Oakland. And, uh, right. I, you know, as a, as a, as a Raider fan, uh, you know, I, we, our, our arms are open for these guys. They want to show up, you know. It's like breaking back uh, Al Zato and uh, Hendrickson and, all, you know, all these guys who were kind of, you know, Plunkett, the guys that thought people thought were washed up or too mean or just on the, you know, just on the edge. That, that was a good fit for them. And, you know, you don't have uh, Al there uh, anymore. But, uh, you know, the, the good place for those guys to end up. Look at Dominic Sue. And Agent Peters of the Raiders, that'd be a that that that'd be a transformation, a complete turnaround. That 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 organization will be a beast of organization. They had those two guys in the backfield along with McFadden and him, the one-two punch, and that guy and holding up that. Uh, matter of fact, I think Adamus Sue would be a monster in that that situation. You know, but uh, I mean, he's a monster in Detroit. But I think it'll, it'll get he would get more incentive. Put some more octane in his tank and be more incentive to be a beast in the AFC. And if they had those two guys, that, that the Raiders would be unbelievable. Just, and if they I left and they let the coach stay there for five years. coaches in fifteen years or something like yeah, that. And, and you know, we've <laughs> seen this guy. His personality has taken on a different edge in the NFL than he had in college. I mean, he was a physically dominant player in college. But he never right. showed this this <laughs> willingness to stomp literally on the opposition like he. He fit right in, man. Know? Come on. I know, but that's, I mean, I think that he already has maybe just a little bit too much willingness to do that kind of stuff now. And if he goes to Oakland, he's just going to go off the deep end and rip somebody's fucking head off. <laughs> well, he did. You know, he, you know, if he falls into that mistake of the old Raiders. You know, I played in the league with the Raiders with a serious Raiders. Uh-huh. Jack Tatum. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know Tatum, Skip Thomas. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm talking about you had some animals back then. But, I mean, if, if if he can get in there and play serious football like he did, the attitude like he did in Nebraska, I'm telling you, there will be something else. Yeah. Uh, and, and he still was a great one at Detroit, but it was something a little missing. But if he gets with the Raiders, I believe, it's something about that mystique. I think he'd be a beast, man. Now you just said that he just might go; his tires might come off uh, off the off the car. Period. <laughs> I mean, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. But I, I could tell you, he, he's 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 a serious he's a he's a seriously great player. Mm-hmm. Andy, before we wrap things up, there's two things I, I, I noticed this week, and, and I, I just want to get your thoughts on them and, and hear what you have to say about them, or if you know if anything is going to change. I, I, one of the things was as, as I. Uh, had had an opportunity to, to look at some stuff at the Rose Bowl, and I was listening, looking down at all the, uh, the 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 Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. And I know you played in three Rose Bowls, but I couldn't find your name on there anywhere. Uh, I'm assuming you got to be in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame, and if you're not, uh, what are the criteria for that? And the second thing is, is uh, I also uh, had an opportunity to, to see a thing where somebody had. Uh, posted on one of the websites all the retired jerseys at SC, 
And it looks like they're all Heisman Trophy winners. I don't know, but but your jersey's not retired there either. So, um, is is there a situation where they they're going to go beyond Heisman Trophy winners there? And 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 as far as the Rose Bowl, are you in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame? Did I not see it, or or is there a different criteria that uh, that, that gets people in there? I don't know what the criteria is about the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame, but I'm not in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame because a lot of people have asked me. And uh, a lot of people assume that I'm in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, th- I thought you were. <laughs> but I'm not in the Hall of Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. Now, I don't know how the criteria to getting in there. Uh, it sort of gets old when people, now people have found out that I'm not in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. And I don't know what the criteria is. I mean, I know I played in three. I know the guys in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame, which uh, which been playing three, and uh, like mm-hmm. I have. But uh, I really don't know the criteria. I don't know if it comes to the school. I don't know if it's voted by the Rose Bowl committee. I have no clue. And a lot of people look at me to shake their head. You're not in the Rose Bowl? When I say it, people say, well, you got to be kidding me. I said, well, no, I'm not. And then when it comes to the retirement jersey, the criteria of USC, from what I've always heard, is that you have to win the Heisman Trophy. I don't know if they're going to move away from that. And I had one guy say to me, well, Anthony, you know, you're a five-time national champion out of USC. You're All-American in both. And uh, that's never been done at the university. It's never been done nationally. So, I mean, well, I said, I really don't know the criteria other than you have to win the Heisman Trophy. Now, I don't know if they're going to change that policy for, for, for me or for the future. I have no clue. But, yeah, I am not in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. I'd love to be in it, but I'm not in it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, 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 I've, I looked through that list twice, and I, I thought maybe I was missing something. I figured I'd ask you when we got you on the air because it always makes for good radio. And uh, I mean, but, one guy actually, I, one guy actually laughed at me. and said, "Are you are you insane?" I said, "No, I'm not insane. I'm not in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was at I was at all three of them. You shouldn't have said, "Well, I'm not, sir. I'm not in it." I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, well, then then all other questions start. You know, why and this and you know. So I mean, I don't really, didn't want to get into that that kind of conversation. But uh, I don't know the criteria. I don't know if they ever changed their criteria at USC. If somebody does something phenomenal at a, at a university, or particularly you're talking about USC, well, you know, I don't know what the criteria is. I mean, if you did something phenomenal, you know, maybe they need to change uh, what the policy is and just let somebody come in there and uh, retire their jersey. But from what I understand, you have to win the Heisman Trophy at USC in order to get your uh, jersey uh, retired from when it comes to football. All right, last but not least, uh, I know uh, you are big on uh, in, in the whole, you know, head trauma and concussions and whatnot. I uh, was listening to an interview last week. Uh, one of the guys who's voted one of the hardest-hitting guys to ever play the game, uh, John Lynch, and who Peter actually knows, and, uh, and um, he said that he uh, never had a concussion. Well, he needs to, have to sit down and have a discussion with people because even though he hasn't had, hasn't had a diagnosed concussion, whenever you put a helmet on and you get hit and you rattle your brain, you got brain trauma. Now, if you haven't been diagnosed of having a concussion, when you're a lucky one, but you know, guess what? Your brain's been rattled and you have some trauma up there. And, uh, and he'll find out if he doesn't go get his brain scanned, if he starts having issues when he hits 50, and, you know, uh, or even earlier. The bottom line is, when you put a football helmet on your head, it's a great game, but it's a dangerous game that brain rattles around. And I haven't known anyone that played football as long as he has and I've had, and he's played longer, to not have brain trauma. No one escapes that. 
And it's and then not only that, the position he played is safety. The way he came up and hit people, come on, you'd have to have some kind of problem. I mean, there's something upstairs that you need to get checked out. And for him to put that out that he's never had a concussion, he needs to go see a neurologist or go talk to a doctor because there's no one that played in all the levels he played and went to the National Football League and to say he never had a concussion. Oh, he's had some trauma, believe me. I bet all of tea in China that he's had some trauma. <laughs> well, A.D., your book is Kickoff Concussion, How the Notre Dame Killer Recovered His Brain. It's available on uh, Lulu and Amazon. You can click on our banner on the front page of Swoops World. Uh, people would go out there and get that book. And, A.D., a little, a little insight of what the book's about, just a little tease? Well, a little tease is, you know, I mean, the thing is that the, the doctor I dealt with is by the name of Dr. Amen. I was part of uh, 115 NFL players, the brain study. And the one thing the doctor always calls, I don't know what he calls me, he, he calls me the, the father of his, I'm the father of his brain study. So, I mean, I don't know because I was the first guy he scanned the brain. And, and it's enjoyable reading. It talks about the, the steps that I've been through. And, and, and it's a good read. I mean, it's a, it's a thing where I've worked on it. And, and I wanted the public to know my steps of what I dealt with. So you go on there and you read, and you read the story of how it all started, and that's about all I'm going to tell them. Go get the book. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, I know your 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 other sport where you, you were uh, an outstanding athlete in is baseball. Baseball season's upon us. A lot of hype about this kid from Cuba. Uh, have you know anything about him, and uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on him if you do? Well, I don't. I mean, I've heard a little bit about him. I mean, there's a lot of great Cuban players down there, you know. And that's, and that's probably most of all the kids do growing up is tying little rocks together and playing. I and mean, they play from when they were coming out of the womb and something, and, and they enjoy baseball. So uh, I understand he's a great player, and uh, and uh, they can get him over here from that Cuban regime. Then you'll have another one. I mean, I tell you, if they're opening up, the, if they're opening up Cuba to the United States fully, they're going to flood the United States with great players. A.D., as always, a pleasure to have a chance to chat with you, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. The great Anthony Davis, uh, you know, five-time national champion at USC and a five-time All-American. This is Kelly Zerbe's. This is called Redbone. Back after this.
Grabbed me by the heart, held me in his arms. You know he kissed me with a passion that I never knew. Was it just a dream or was it you? My name is Joe Thompson. I'm 29, and thanks to my college degree, I'm a systems analyst, and the college me would tell you. I wouldn't be here without Big Brothers Big Sisters. My big brother believed in me, and to a seven-year-old, that means a lot. My big brother's name is Phil, and Phil is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a systems analyst. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. So, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something, and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. So many comments on my comment. Hey, guys, check out my wait. new video game. Mom, what? Huh? Pew, pew. What'd you say? This huh? weekend, unplug. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Talk Story Radio. Hi, my name is Brent Michelle. I'm a singer-songwriter based in Los Angeles. Why don't you sit back, grab a cold beer, and listen in? Because you're listening to Swoop's World. The world spins before my eyes. One wrong turn, I'm left behind. And so I hide under my skin. And 
Welcome back to Swoops World and Talk Story Radio Network. And, uh, monitor. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out if, uh, yeah, we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, that show ID there, the station ID was Brent Michelle. Uh, if you get a chance to check out Brent Michelle. Do uh, it. Find her performance somewhere or listen to her music or sit back and admire her, uh, you know, style. Do it because she's uh, she's outstanding. I know she frequently is with the the Wicked Saints, and uh, I know she. Um, I know that our good friend John Gannon. Uh, I think he plays percussion for her too. So, mm-hmm. get a chance to check out Brent Michelle. Definitely check it out. Uh, once again, we want to thank Andrew Peterson uh, for joining us earlier tonight, as well as Anthony Davis, who uh, just went off the air with us. Always a good time talking to AD, and he's always got plenty to chat about and. Uh, Never, uh, never hesitate for an opinion. So I like that. Right. Uh, pretty soon we'll be uh, moving into T Bone's timeout. Woo-hoo. But uh, just prior to that, we're gonna chat it up a little bit. Big plans for the week, man. Uh, well, yeah, this weekend I'm gonna go down to San Diego. That's right. Check out a few different breweries. Do some, some, uh, some drinking. Good. And I will not be doing any driving this weekend. So that's always a nice. A little added bonus. And our CHP listeners are happy you said Yeah, that. feather in my cap. I, I am in no danger of any DUI-ing because, you know, that's bad. Yes, indeed. I might... Uh, Frowned I might, upon. might take in a uh, sled hockey game this weekend. Yeah? Uh, I think it's Friday night. I got a, uh, our, a good friend, Angela, who uh, was with us last week. She sent a uh, little one of those invites. I think it's in Redondo Beach or somewhere like that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating it. We'll see how it goes. Nice. It's the same day I got to give platelets. So, yeah. So, sorry for lunch today. I'm trying to drink my juice and eat my cookie. <laughs> <laughs> drink one beer and you'll be just <laughs> happy. Well, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Redondo Beach, huh? I think that's where it is. I have to look at my. Uh, Not down on the snow in Huntington Beach. <laughs> that was hail. <laughs> it's funny because everybody kept calling it snow. I know. <laughs> Very comical. Uh, yeah. But hey, listen, it hit that beach. It hit that beach hard. I mean, yeah. it was covered. It was definitely yeah. covered. You know, th- things like that excite us here in SoCal. Oh right? yeah, like <laughs> people are back east, like in, you know, f- multiple feet of snow. Yeah. And we got Boston excited. got four feet in one week. Yeah, we got excited about some hail that lasted about you know twenty minutes. <laughs> I had like five little nuggets of hail hit my windshield on the way to work on Monday morning, and I was like, Ah, what is happening? Mostly because I was just. I wanted it to rain the week during the weekend, man. Because like, if you ever if you work in any kind of school type environment, you want that rain to happen anytime yeah. but during the school week. So I was just like, oh yeah, it's supposed to rain this weekend and be sunny on Monday. Awesome. No rain, no rain, no rain. I wake up on Monday, get in the car, and it starts fucking hailing. Like, yeah, it's quite a storm too. I was just all around, just. Yeah. It just yeah, it just skirted all around us for like a day and a half, and then finally. And at times it was really intense. Well, what was interesting is as I I I was going to the gym one day. I don't know what day it was, Monday I believe. Kind of look out the window. Okay, I see some black clouds over there. I'm going to drive. I'm not going to ride the bike. I I get there. You know, it's dry all the time. I get there. I go in the gym. I work out. I look out the window at one point, and it is just freaking pouring. I mean, it's we're talking. 
cats and dogs and everything else, man. And it was just coming down hard. I see people like they're just running up to the door. <laughs> By the time I get finished my workout, it was all over. Uh, <laughs> it was all wet, but it was it was no more no more coming down. I got in dry. I left dry. It was perfect. <laughs> you know, you you uh, yeah, you're you're a, an educator working at school. Uh, what did, did you hear about this teacher who decided uh, cashing her chips in the classroom yeah. there? Yeah, you know I. I feel for anybody in in that situation in life that they feel that that's their only option. Um, but fuck, couldn't you to work, couldn't yeah. you do that at your house? Yeah, like that's and and you know I I have never been one to say oh you took the easy way out you're being selfish or whatever you know what some people yeah. I mean hey they're dealing with shit that I never even want to fathom exactly like hey if that's what you got to do. Well, why have teenagers but, find you? But man? do it, yeah. Don't do it in a way where you've got. Where you're talking about instantly scarring, you know, thirty people for life, thirty young people, right off the bat, without even talking about, you know, it's gonna, you're gonna hurt people no matter what, and that's, you know, I think you feel like you don't want to hurt anybody else anymore, or at least don't want to deal with thinking about it. That's what you do, I guess. But that's crappy, man. I feel for all those kids and everybody at that school community because when 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 tragedy strikes a school. Everybody feels the effects of it, whether they really had any personal connection to it or not. Yeah. And that's... Those are the kind of things that I... I mean, there are days when I wake up after something like that and just think, man, glad to know that that didn't go down where I work. Today. Yeah. Because, it's, it, you know, play the percentages. Hopefully none of that shit happens where you are. But You know, I can think of three people I know who've found suicide victims. I can one guy I know he's found two. Uh, but uh, uh, of the three, you know, out, out of that group, you know, the, they were all teenagers, man. They were all in high school when they, when they when they discovered, you know, one was, you know, she found her grandma hanging when she came home from came home from school, and another one found her boyfriend and shot himself, and another one found his mom, and then years later he found a friend of his, but he was grown then, so he's I mean, it just. But I, I, you know, like you said, you're gonna, you know, you, you kind of, kind of scar some people. But I don't know about uh, you know, scarring young folks like that, man. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, I'm not gonna say you took the easy way out, or you know, you did what you thought you had to do. I just think you need to do one more step. Mm -hmm. The whole planning thing is like yeah. one more step. Who's gonna find me? Uh huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool. Oh, oh, not cool. cool. Now nope. we brought the party down, man. You're ah. ready, you ready for your intro? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> We're getting ready to go to that whole March Madness thing, man. So, you know, Kentucky's still undefeated? They are. Yeah. 30 and 0. Oh, uh, you know that sound? It's time for sports with T-Bone's timeout. Or as we say it here, it's T-Bone's timeout. Hey-o! Hey-o! Another beautiful night here in studio. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, it's kind of bizarre, you know, our version of weather here in Southern California. <laughs> we had hail on Monday morning, and it was like 50 degrees, which is just freezing! <laughs> and then it was like 76 I think today. it dropped all the way down to 42. <laughs> Woo! I think so. That's freezing, right? The day I left... <laughs> According to, come... to California Public Schools, that's definitely The day freezing. I left to come back home for visit my folks, I think I woke up, it was 18 degrees outside. <laughs> that's... 
Yes. Ooh. Nipply. 18 degrees outside. Yeah. And my dad keeps the heat up to about 90 in the house. So <laughs> it's like walking out of the, it's like walking out of a casino in the summertime in Vegas. <laughs> the drastic change in temperature. <laughs> <laughs> We're going the opposite way. We're coming this way. <laughs> Walking out of the heat into the cold, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been an interesting interesting week here in SoCal. You know, as interesting as it can get in a season when baseball is still not quite happening yet. Basketball isn't quite interesting yet. Uh, hockey is hockey. <laughs> And the biggest football news we've had involves free agency deals and potential pie in the sky stadium ideas. So, um, oh, can you believe? Uh, I'm sorry, but can you believe this thing with the study uh, that says that you're talking about the penis length study? <laughs> no, no, not that one. Not that one. <laughs> the study that okay, that comes out. You know, Eaglewood says we're gonna we will help with the bill, whatever, whatever to. Idiots. To to build the stadium here in Inglewood, and then the study comes out the next day and says it's 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 not, it's not safe to have a state of Inglewood, but it was commissioned by AIG. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta give him credit, man. That's, that's definitely creative, outside the box thinking, right there. <laughs> we want ours downtown. Yeah. That one that. over there is dangerous. <laughs> and when I think about you know. Inglewood at night versus Figueroa at night. Hey, it's a it's a step up. Thing is, is there there's already stuff. But, they had the they had the racetrack there. They had they have the forums forum, been there forever. Yep, forever, and yep. there's still stuff going on there every night. So yeah. that's just a just that's just a bullshit pool. But no, yeah, I totally right. was. It's it was it's out of the box thinking though, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> man. And they even got you saw who they got to do that. Was yeah, that, they got the some former Tom Ridge yeah, or whatever, exactly. like guy who the guy who was the first <laughs> Homeland Security uh, uh, secretary. It's like it, he he certainly must know what he's talking about. The first secretary, for the right price. Yeah, like, uh, oh, yeah, you know that. I think it's pretty funny to see now uh, three different folks getting their panties in a bunch. Yeah. Um, and now the the people in Carson, uh, who honestly I think sit in the best position, just because they do. They, they you know everything in Carson. I mean, it's already pretty much. I mean, they, they've got everything set up. You know, they have a regular, as far as you can say, sports. Yeah, yeah. They got the they have, soccer field, the have, bike, and access to and freeway access. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's um, if if you build those on ramps right, that should be the easiest. They've got, they've got flat, empty land. Yep. Um, that that's nobody already, else wants. Already owned by the teams right. that want to do it. I think that's that's by far the best site for it. The, the only problem is, is the two teams. Yeah. <laughs> that just and that's does. where, yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think fans of either team want that. Uh, so, hey, I'm, all in, favor, says, I'm all in favor of them putting the Raiders in there by themselves. If the Raiders can get the money I'm together. All, hey, if they want to share the stadium, do I don't care. I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to Charger games. So, yeah. I probably would. Though, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's football, man. Yeah. The problem, problem I see is that those two teams, the ownership is so... Hey, they, got together, they got together to buy the buy the buy the land. That's together. the smartest thing either of those ownership groups have done in a good long. Time. And that's exactly the point. Um, it, it is the smartest thing. The and, and the Spanos. Oh my god, I hate those guys. Um, yeah, <laughs> you're talking about a couple of 
And and neither one of them, especially known for their their business acumen. I mean, no, yeah, Al, Al, Al had it. For Al, you. but Al's a yeah, dead Al, man. Al's yeah, a dead man. Exactly. But Al also was just a football first guy too. Thanos yeah. is. I don't even. Know, they're no. from Stockton. Yeah. Is it real estate money? Is it oil ish? Like farm money? Well, what is? It? How can we make some? And it's it's always the charges have always been a sort of like how can we make money on this? Yeah. And that's why for all those years they that, that ticket put, thing they had at Qualcomm. Yeah, you yeah. know, like just. And I lived there at the time. I was in San Diego when all that went. I was like, and I couldn't believe the people I voted against. I was like, I can't believe you people. Are terrible deal. Terrible. Made no sense. As and a, as a ten-year-old, I was like, this is yeah, this is a really bad idea. So I just can't see. You mean the whole thing about you can't buy the. Uh... No, the whole thing where if you only, if the Chargers only legitimately sell forty thousand tickets, the city has to buy the remaining thirty thousand for every home game at face value, not at a reduced price. Yeah, at face value, no, no. no, not even. No, <laughs> couldn't, no. Even, couldn't even make this. What reason is kind of crap? <laughs> this is why the city of San Diego will not build a new stadium for the Chargers right. anytime soon. Yeah, because they fucked it up so badly. In well, the they past. make a boatload on Comic Con. It covers the cost, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> who, who agree? I mean, how does that pass? I don't know. I don't know. It was crazy. The only reason that the Padres got Petco was because they had that one fluke year where they went to the World Series. <laughs> if it were not for '98, the Padres would not. The Padres would still be playing in Qualcomm slash Jack Murphy Stadium with the Chargers, and it would be in even worse shape than it is now. Yeah, because they wouldn't have been able to do any of the stuff that made it more football. Can we go back to calling it the Murph? Yeah, dude, I'm calling it the Murph. <laughs> yeah, but those the point is, is those two teams, that location is probably the better ideal, yeah. you know. Yeah. But then you've got those two teams, and they'll they'll fuck that up. Yeah. I mean, they somehow will. they will fuck that up mm-hmm. so badly. All they have to do is go there to play. The good thing about Inglewood, yeah, but they own the stadium, so they're, gonna have to, they're, they're the ones that are going to have to come up with the funding. The 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 they'll just they'll fuck it up. Just, you know those two guys, those come two on, teams. Mr. Half empty. No. Let's go and half full this time. No but way. At least if they build the stadium they in Inglewood, you know, if you do get shot on the way in or out, the cemetery is right across That's the right, street. Right. So you know. There's that. And, and what's his name? The guy who owns it is uh, the Rams owner is a bona fide, genuine, you know, real estate guru guy. Right? I mean, he, he, this is what he does. This is how he made his dollars, yeah. right? And He's not the Frank McCord of football. Then. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's not the most ideal location just Although for. I'm glad Jamie gets slapped down. Oh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, that's, that's not the most. Ideal location as far as getting into and out of it, it's it's you not right been, there. Been, you, well, you, but it's you not there recently. I was there recently. It's it's not the greatest. It's not the greatest. It's not the worst by far. I would probably rather go there than say where uh, Staples Center and all that oh, is. Yeah, that's a disaster. That's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Disaster. Even, even at three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, the yeah. freeway stops right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So unless you want to risk the uh, the blue line. <laughs> Which for for football is not so bad, right? Because daytime. daytime and daytime home. Those Monday night games, though, forget about it. That forget train, about it. That train coming up at night is pretty interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. It's like that Star Wars. Ooh, it's a lot. 
<laughs> Except the music doesn't stop when you walk onto the train. You got 19 ghetto blasters still going on that train at any given time, even though those are the only things prohibited. Booze, smoking, and playing music out loud. And I drink on the train every time. And, you know, other people take care of the other things you're not supposed to do, so it works. Yeah. Those are some crazy... Yeah, the whole thing, you know, and the whole thing is probably... It probably all will just fall through. Um, yeah, I, I think that a lot of people are counting a lot of eggs before they hatch right now. Again, getting really excited about stuff that's... Honestly, all the odds on any of them going through are still less than 50%. Oh, yeah. Even that's generous. Uh, but I, you know, I think, like you guys kind of... It sounds like we all kind of think that Carson is the best possible oh, yeah. place. Exactly. Team independent, that's the best place to put a stadium. Yes. Uh, yeah, if you can take out away who owns that. that Just that whole area. I mean, like, I, my, my kids and I got friends go to the, the, the soccer games, you know, in Carson. And they just talk about how easy it is to get in and out of. Oh, yeah. And, you know, parking's not the worst thing in the world. We went there when you were doing, uh, yeah. was doing the, uh, the, the velodrome If you want to tailgate there, you can stop at Ikea on the way. Go buy yourself a couch. <laughs> That's right. Together right there put in the parking right lot. There. Sit That's on right. it. Hey, you're not, not divorced from sports, but I heard the strangest thing. Uh, I guess, I don't know how they do it without Jerry Garcia, but the Dead has a 50-year reunion tour coming on. Hmm. And uh, wherever they're playing, they're not, allowed, they're not allowed tailgating. I'm like... It's a dead tour, man. That's part of the whole thing, man. <laughs> be a lot of very hot boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's all good. I, um, I digress. Yeah. Well, hey. This, <laughs> we should call this T-Bone's digression. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. So, yeah. A lot of, a lot of dust up over what probably amounts to nothing right now as far as NFL stadiums. You know, Carson... Trying to get something on a ballot. Inglewood said, screw the ballot. Our city council is just going to rubber stamp it and just beg for it. Uh, <laughs> offer to pay money that they probably realistically can't afford in the long term. Oh, you got to look at the, you got to look at the, uh, what do you call it? The uh, ROI. ROI yeah. that thing. And, uh, if, they w- if it went through, and uh, they, they would probably and, get their return and on you know, their investment. This is where competing, competing, Areas within the LA basin, there is some legitimate, you know, there is some legitimacy to that idea. Down in San Diego, I mean, when they talk about, oh, we want to build a stadium in downtown San Diego or whatever, because of all the economic benefits. I mean, you're talking about a fairly monolithic region that's, I mean, it's an, it, really it's compact in terms of economic yeah. stuff going on in San Diego. Well, Seattle pulled it off, right? Aren't those stadiums right right across from each yeah, other? Yeah, they are. Yeah. And not to say that it can't be, you know, the, the political will could be mustered for it to happen, but the economic benefits of professional sports in general are not what all these teams oh. claim them to yeah. be. You know, there right. are the temporary construction jobs for two to three to five years, you know. I mean, honestly, the people that make money off of this are the lawyers. Well, um, also but being in Southern California, it's, California it's, too. It's entertainment, val- it's entertainment dollars. It's discretionary spending that people are going to spend, whether it's at you know, the movie theater or SeaWorld or on a new Harley or whatever. You know, you know people, the w- one of the things... People I, are going to spend this money on something. I think most of the time this stuff, yeah. I think most of the stuff just... Most of the time, this stuff just falls flat, and it really doesn't live up to the billing. I, I would say that, in my experience, 
uh, Petco actually did sort of live up to that. They built it in a place, in a part of the town that had, for a number of years, yeah, 25 they, years had they, been. They a, lifted all that. Yeah, and it lifted up, and new businesses came in, it and it created a buzz and a nightlife, and it expanded the gas lamp. And that's probably one of the few instances where I'm like, it. They probably every. It probably came closer to living up to that billing. Most a, of the time, it really the big problem doesn't do the that. Big problem yeah. with, with being in SoCal. There's just so much to do here, and we, and we we see it. I mean, we see it. We've all been to games where people are leaving before the game's over. And I, you've seen stories where you know, these people were at the Dodger game and the Laker game the same mm-hmm. day. I mean, and there's just so much to choose from. And, and you know, like when the Raiders are here, we couldn't watch them at home games on TV because it, it could never it never really sold out. And I had season tickets, yeah. so it wasn't even that big a deal. But with the years I did have season tickets. They don't sell out because there's just too much to do here, mm-hmm. and you know. Oh, and that was a and huge was a stadium huge too. Stadium. Oh, like exactly. ninety thousand or something. Yeah, like that. It's, it's, I think yeah. it's, it's ninety thousand, and they they configured, how they configured they configure it, yeah. it to even even when they seated like eighty six thousand. Well, it's it's still, still a huge still a, yeah. stadium. Yeah. But the thing is, is uh, you know, there's just so much going on for a city or a governmental agency to have the taxpayers foot the bill. It just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it just absolutely doesn't make sense. Makes about as much sense as wanting to take the franchise tag if you're a free agent or a soon to be unrestricted free agent ball player in the NFL. You know, yeah, you're taking a slap in the face. That's what you should pretty, have said, AD. It's slap in the face. Pretty goddamn yeah. ridiculous. No, you know, I I talked on a few occasions with a friend of mine who was actually played a position where being franchised could have been a good deal for him and his team. Kicker? Because he was a punter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so to be a punter and, you know, have the team decide to pay you the average of the top five guys at your position is a good deal. You know, if you're in the last year or you have, like, one more year option on your contract or something, yeah, give me that. And, you know, occasionally guys get that. You know. but Go ahead. I'm sorry. They're, they're never going to be the kind of players where a team goes out on a limb and says, we're going to push the limits of what the market will bear on this position and say, oh, we're going to pay you. You know, they're never going to, those guys are never going to be like, oh, I could get $100 million, you know. And most of the time, I think the problem that, that any player would have with the franchise idea is that it's a one-year deal. That's yeah, the biggest that's issue. That's the biggest issue, yeah. And I think for wide receivers, not as big of a deal. You know, for quarterbacks even. It could be, you know, depending on where they are in their career, a bigger or smaller deal. Running backs, if I were a running back, I would I would go to arbitration before I would accept the franchise tag. I might even say, screw it, I'm going to Carson Palmer and retire for a year. And then <laughs> because um, as a running back, the biggest issue in the NFL is just your career longevity and your job security, your perceived longevity, that effect that it has on your job security, you know, so... It's a funny deal, the the whole thing, and I think it is, you know, like you said, it's it's one of those things that tilts in the house's favor oh, yeah. almost every time. I mean, really every time, and they they try to put this name on it like it's some kind of honor. I'm just doing you a and favor. Like, oh, thank you so much for this backhanded compliment. You know, like, it's funny you mentioned the kicker because I, I was watching this show called Buying Alaska, mm. and it's about you know people are buying property in Alaska. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys want to live out in the outskirts. Jason Elam was on there. Uh-huh. I think I said this before. 
So the guy's showing him a few houses, and one of the houses he shows him, and yeah, Jason Elam and his wife, you know, what's the price? The guy tells him the price. He says, you know, dude, I made kicker money. I didn't make Elway money. <laughs> yeah, it's a big, you know, you might have you might have played in all these Super Bowls. You might have had this longevity, you know, this career, but there, position-wise, and you know, there's a there's a big discrepancy mm-hmm. in, the, in the amount of money these people are making. You know, yeah, seriously. And, you know, this is it, – it goes back, like AD was saying, to – that can cause some tension in the locker room when you know that you're making a million dollars a year. I mean, boo-hoo for me, you know, when you're, your teammate's making $30 million a year. <laughs> making a million dollars uh, a game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's hard to feel sorry for anybody who's hauling in yeah. those dollars, no matter how short of a time period it might go. But – I think the NFL does have a little bit of a systemic problem with the fact that, like, and this is something we talked about last football season, where you've got positions that, you know, the market values more than others because of the marketing value and the glamour. You know, quarterback is always going to make more money. But then you've got new rules that the league has put in place that protect certain players while demonizing others for doing things that were just part of the game a few years ago. Yeah. And now not only is a player like a defensive end who's a pass rusher, not only is he valued less in terms of you know who they want to put on commercials and crap like that and who they think is going to sell tickets, but now they're actually going to be seen as a liability to their team because of penalties that right. could be happening that could well, change games and you know fines it, that go against them. And arguably, I mean, arguably, you know, in a perfect world, <coughs> you know, the best player at each position is they're going to get paid, whatever. Whatever the top dollar is. You know, you're the best quarterback, mm-hmm. you get whatever. You're the best center, you get whatever. And you're the best. And those numbers, in a perfect world, should all be about the same, right? They should be pretty close to each other. Same amount of experience, same amount of performance. You're the best in your position, I'm the best in my position. We should be making about the same amount of money in a perfect world. Uh-huh. But it's not a perfect world. <laughs> and And that's... You know, I mean, can you imagine uh, being like a tackle? There's no way the tackles, those guys don't make squat compared to, say, the wide receivers or the tight end. Tight ends become a real glamour position in the last, like, 10 years or so. Uh, People, guys like uh, Gates and uh, Gronkowski, like, made that, like, that's a cool position to play. It's a cool, let's let's pay those guys some big bucks. Mm -hmm. 10, 20 years before, 20 years before those guys came along, tight end was just a glorified tackle, right? I mean, you got, you got paid. Catch a pass every three Yeah, but games. you didn't – it wasn't like – it wasn't a superstar position. Now it is. And it's like – so, again, in a perfect world, these guys should all – top guys should all kind of get – but it doesn't work that way. And then you, that already uh, instills us or, or leads to a certain amount of – I think tension uh, yeah. naturally, and then you start throwing in titles, mm-hmm. and like you know, you're protected. Mm-hmm. We've got some special rules for you, yeah. <laughs> and you're a franchise player, and you know, I mean, that's yeah. it. It gets real goofy real quick. Yeah, and, for sure. And uh, you know the the salary caps that the NFL and the NBA have, um, they create interesting opportunities for guys to either flex or check their egos. And we see them both. We see, you know, guys trying to flex their egos in negotiations more than the opposite. Usually we see guys like, in, in the last two years, we've seen 
uh, Tom Brady and now, as of I think today, Peyton Manning agree voluntarily to substantial pay cuts in the interest of main- maintaining a roster that can be competitive right. in the face of salary cap restrictions. And it's the kind of thing that you you don't you know you you don't expect to see from either of those guys five to seven years ago for one because they're at the top of their game and they're superstars. But you expect to see it from guys who are n- at or near the end and looking you know, for that they last. Still, they have, they have they that still perspective. Their money though. Oh sure, yeah. Peyton Manning's, his pay cut means he's going to make. Fifteen million this next season instead of nineteen. But right. it's not really a cut; it's restructured, right? Call. I mean, well, and he they, makes they more. Count the money towards different cap. And he probably makes more money doing commercials. Oh yeah, yeah. And endorsements than he makes. So are. if he cuts, if he cuts a little bit on the salary, but where he sees that from the perspective of, well, you know, the money is still, you know, I've, the money is still good money. Yeah, it's not like he's going to sell his house. And I, this this increases my opportunity to have one or two more One more shot at the Super Bowl, yeah, yeah. Those are the kind of decisions that you would like to think people would look at at any point in their career and say, well, you know, if I take take a million dollars now, our team looks a lot better uh, you know, when it comes to getting the right players in place. Yeah, and then you look at the complete opposite end of that spectrum with Kobe Bryant and the fact that he has, you know, if you count his, if you count his injury time as seasons, he's got, you know, he's really played two crazy seasons these last two years. You know, played what, fourteen games in the last two years? Um, he's got one more year left on this forty-eight million dollar thing, and he, he just said, "Screw it, pay me." <laughs> you know, he knew that the team. You know, was and, and, and if I were Kobe, really, I'd do the same thing. It's really weird because you know, the like, Lakers are different. They're an outlier right now. They're just fucked. Yeah, they're broken it's, it's, it's as all hell, and they're going to be broken for another. Four I listened years. to you know, an interview of, of, about that. You know, for, and uh, you know, we talk about these guys who do restructure their contracts. You know, they had a few more years for the team, and then the opportunities are. But you know, even Kobe, uh, you got to see. I saw Kobe's side of it too. He's like, yeah, he's a businessman. There. Kobe could give. He could say, "I will play for free," and the Lakers are still not going anywhere. Right, but yeah, and in his time left. Yeah, but he's. I mean, he said he says, "You know so, what? Yeah, might as well he, pay me." He's like, <laughs> you know, me taking a pay cut doesn't benefit me. It benefits the owner because mm-hmm. you know they it, it really. It doesn't benefit the fans either because the they're fans. still not going to go anywhere. The team. If, if they it, took all it that money, yeah. the mm-hmm. and he's like, "Well, fuck it. <laughs> Why do I want to benefit?" Yeah, you know. <laughs> In that instance, yeah. I mean, you'd like to hope. Kobe fan. No. I, 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 you'd I, like I, to hope. I definitely saw his. Uh, I see yeah. his point here. You'd like to hope that and that's, that if the if the Lakers needed that one player, if they were contenders. Yeah, they needed that one player, one and two players. That like that's the difference. Yeah, then you'd say, like to hope that he would, he would say, say yeah, okay. but I yeah. still don't think he would. You want to believe he would? Yeah, yeah, then you could then you could hate him. Then yeah, you could really. Get I, him. I think it's a lot easier for him and his representation to look across the table at Jim Buss and say because it's not Jerry. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a lot easier for them to look at Jim Buss and say. Screw this guy and what he's already done and is going to continue to do to this organization until after I'm gone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a different different deal there, definitely, than in a spot like Denver or New England where they're, you know, on the precipice of 
possible Ooh, good things. Yeah. Pulling out all, fun, the, fun pulling word, out right? all the stops tonight, yeah, man. That's one of my 11 <laughs> cent words for the day. So, uh, yeah, the, the free agency stuff that we're looking at in the NFL right now is amusing because there are a lot of egos involved, and at various points throughout this whole process, guys are going to get humbled. <laughs> <laughs> Usually not a not by their own choice. So, uh, more talk about NBA and NFL personnel come draft time in a few. Actually, the draft is later this year. The draft is in May this year. Really? Yeah. That's that is lateness. Yeah. Game, yeah. They're, they're pushing it, pushing it back. Um, Major League Baseball preseason spring training exhibition games started. Today ish, and you know, so what's, what's the deal with Hamilton, man? Is he uh, I have had a hard time even reading the articles about him because the, the dude got drunk and did some blow and probably had some fun with some hookers. I mean, shit, we've all wanted to have that, like, <laughs> can't afford it, yeah, they don't pay me the bucks to do that kind of stuff, but. You know, he, looking at it from, you know, reading the perspectives of some people who uh, have worked the steps, you know, the whole concept of one day at a time is, well, I mean, it's a lot of things, but <laughs> the, 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 the presumption is that you're going to fuck up at some point. Well, yeah. You're going to relapse. You are a you, fill in the blank for life. Yeah, there's no, yeah. there's no. Uh, oh, I'm better now. No. As far as you know, that's why you have a sponsor. You yeah. call when you're like having and, those weak moments. And you know, he didn't, he didn't fail a test with Major League Baseball. He didn't get busted by the paparazzi. He got drunk, and who knows what else. I mean, you know, I think cocaine has been bandied around, tossed around in a little the, bit, yeah. In the press reports, but uh, he called Major League Baseball. <laughs> said, "Hey, I had too much fun did last night." Did he drunk dial? Or did maybe, he... <laughs> maybe, maybe he drunk dial. He's like, "Hey, those three, three minute up? voicemails." <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, I mean, he he turned. He self reported. He turned himself in. Said, "Hey, I done messed up." He, he, well, he, he's anticipating a random test, so he yeah. he got ahead of that. Well, hey, I mean, ugh. I've done the research, and as long as you don't pee within like two days, <laughs> you're not going to pee dirty for cocaine. Um, well, he, he thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah, maybe he just never read that article <laughs> on the internet. Here's the but, thing, man: if you got to, you know. What's your dad always say? If you know the rules, you can play the game. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think he, I think he knows the rules. I no, mean, no, I mean the, the all the rules. Yeah, it's no, like, I, that's what I'm it's saying. Like, like okay, he, the chances of me having to pee in the next two days are very, very friggin' slim. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, he's already he's been suspended for extended periods of time by Major League Baseball. And then he came before. back and won MVP. Yeah. Like he knows what's in his system for how long. Yeah. He he knows the whole list of everything he's ever done and how long it can be around before. Before he's good to pee again or whatever, he knows all that stuff. The spare bladder, and I, thing. yeah, you know, the wizenator, wizenator, uh, yeah. the, the, the fake dick. That shit is just so funny to me. Oh my god! Let me just whip out my fake dick that's hooked up to this bag that's taped to my thigh, 
Oh, it's such a great idea. A lot idea. of estrogen in that pee there, yeah. buddy. <laughs> in fact, it says that you're pregnant. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Last time I tried to buy clean piss from Rodriguez. <laughs> now, you know, as far as Josh Hamilton goes, I think that he'll he's injured, you know, he's he's recovering from surgery until sometime in May anyway. Yeah. I don't think he's going to face anything more than, like, a three-game suspension. I think they're essentially going to credit him time served for his injury time. You are very optimistic, man. I I, I might be, but I think we're in a we're in a we're in a society now where all these commissioners are holier than fucking thou. And uh, you you saw you see it in the NFL. You, you see, you know, it's just I think it's just gonna. The only bad thing is that he's got to deal with this new commissioner guy. What's his name? I don't know. We have a new commissioner in baseball now. Oh. Giamatti. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's it could end up being like that. No, it's not Kennesaw Mountain Landers either. But, uh, you know, there's a new commissioner in town. That's right. And, uh, they all want to make a name he could He could have a little bit of that Goodell syndrome where he tries to throw the book at people just to be, to you know, let them know who's Mine boss. Or bigger. Yeah. Yeah. You kind know, of, I, kind of guy when he I walks think this in whole the thing room. is bullshit because, I mean, Baseball's big brouhaha, big complaint is performance enhancing. Performance enhancing. Go do a bunch of coke and get hammered all night, and then tell me you're going to play good ball the next day. I mean, Steve uh, Howell figured it out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, hammer between innings. I I think it's just crap. I mean, if this guy. Allegedly. We've got a guy who threw a no hitter on LSD back in the 70s. Right. Doc Ellis. Doc Ellis, yes, indeed. Um, But, you know, we also have Babe Ruth, who was probably drunk for a good number of his games. He was always drunk, at least the first part. Certainly the latter part of his career, for sure. Um, Uh, Yeah. We got. Apparently, uh, baseball has old, a long. Oh, Mickey, oh, Mickey, uh, Mantle there was a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, baseball has a long, illustrious history. Some of the things Tommy uh, Lasorda's done made me think uh, <laughs> he was half in the bag for a good part of his games as well. Pretty fucking true. <laughs> I don't know. Tell him, Tommy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just Kurt think I just think it's just ridiculous. I mean, yeah. If this guy, if he, if he don't want to play. Sober, or can't play sober, or what have you. You know, their thing is. I'm all about let let the fucking market decide. If you if you're coming out effed up, your manager's gonna say, "Dude, you're effed up. Get off the freaking field." Right. Yeah. If you if they're performing it, they look the other way. Like we talked about frequently around here. Even with their performance enhancing drugs, when they were fucking down in the dumps and they weren't, nobody was showing up for games. They'd gone through a strike. They didn't go to rats' ass. The guys no. were juiced up, knocking a ball into the parking lot every night. You know, it didn't matter to them. So it's they're self-serving, man. Yeah, and I swear to God, it's gonna happen. If it hasn't already, somebody's going to give the whole. Won't someone think of the children? <laughs> well, that's you know, been always. And, and the role models. And uh, you know what? I was listening to something. Baseball that, players. If that guy's your kid's role model, yeah, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Turn off the damn TV. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But have your kid watch a different team. Play a different sport. Yeah. Something. Because that guy should never have you know ever said, been you know your kid's the, role model. You know who said that the best? Years ago. Years ago. You're talking about Charles Barkley? Charles. Yeah. Threw some guy through a plate glass window, and somebody said something. Dude, you're a role model. He goes, your fucking parents are a role model. I'm a fucking I am not a role I'm a basketball model. player. I am not a role yeah. model. <laughs> Again, and, and, if, and as parent, I'm a parent, right? Yeah. If, if my kid's going, that's... 
that's how I want to be. It's up to me to go, no, that's not how you want to be. You want to be like this guy over here. You want to show up hard-nosed. You want to blah, 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 blah. Like, no, you know, that's usually the kids dig those players because their folks dig those players. Their dads right. dig, or grandparents or uncles or somebody digs mm-hmm. those players. And and it's like, and then so then they latch on to like, that's how I should be. It's like, right. That's bullshit. That's you take whole a, argument yeah, is bullshit. You take a guy. Okay, there's a guy who everybody has ostracized. Yeah, whatever reason. Whatever. I, I, I get it. I get why they ostracize him. But he showed up to freaking play every freaking day, even in the All-Star game. And that was Pete Rose. The guy, he played like every game was his last freaking game. Now, he says he never even bet on his own team. So well, nobody, and nobody's ever said, proven that he, he has. never been against his own team. Yeah. So what's what's the problem, man? <laughs> and nobody's been able to prove he did. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, you prove he bet against his own team. Yeah. yeah. Throw him out of baseball. I got no problem. I honestly I, believe that. Because yeah, then, then you can throw a game. Of all yeah. the things that I believe, I believe that he I mean, never. I, I, don't, he, I don't think. He, I can't imagine him doing that. He's a true believer. He's a true believer. Son of a bitch to ever bet against his own team. I just don't see it. And it was too competitive. He went out there wanting to win everything all the time Listen, you I see it in the way he played every game yeah. even in freaking all-star game, he bowled over who was it was it that was poor it son of a gun at the home plate no i don't even know who it was no but. it wasn't Boone. but yeah i mean that's how he came yeah. to freaking play and every and, time and, and i don't like even as a manager he you could tell i mean that guy he wasn't he there was no way he was betting against his own team no, ever no, I, I don't I, now if you come up if they come up with with proof of that oh all right, oh, right tell him my out. opinion but <laughs> they never did no and you know they would have if they had it. So, yeah, this this whole deal with Hamilton, I think, is more more a function of PC. A, it's a it's still slow in the news season as far as baseball is concerned. Well, yeah. this, is the, <laughs> this is the biggest story they had last week, you know. Because Rodriguez hasn't done anything stupid yet. Not yet. <laughs> Give him some note. time. He'll um, <laughs> say or do something. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that you know it was oh it's the biggest story we have right now. And uh, honestly, it's great that it came out now. If I'm Josh Hamilton, it's great that it came out now because there will be so many other fun, stupid stories to come up in the next 48 hours. That I mean, really, no one's going to remember this by the time he comes back and touches the. Do you believe? I mean, I I I believe you know because you know when we were growing up, we didn't have it. I think a lot of the stuff we hear these days is just strictly because of the whole 24-hour news cycle. Because mm-hmm. we all there's, there's news all the, with social media, with cable TV. There's just so much shit time they got to fill that we get a lot of stories that would have been non-stories yeah. 20 yeah. years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the fucking Cricket World Cup. <laughs> Did they have one of those? Yeah. <laughs> right now, ESPN is just trying so hard to make it the next Relevant. soccer in America. Uh, They're like they've been pushing the cricket they play World Cup Park for three week. three weeks. Yeah, uh, and, no way. And nobody cares because it's fucking Pakistan versus India or yeah, something. Yeah. Dude, like, I, Sri Lanka. Nobody, yeah, that's that's kind of it, it was Sri Lanka <laughs> versus Scotland who, I don't care yesterday. Who I I, it's like who, who cares? I walk. I score is four hundred thirty-two to three hundred. I've tried to watch it a couple I times. My, I cannot understand. I ride my it. bike past a live game on the weekends. I've stopped twice and just go. Yeah, all right. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I mean, some intriguing things about it. You know, like oh, 
You can have guys I'd, running back and forth. I'd like probably each other. be more interested in high life. And you got to bounce the ball. Yeah, you know that like that just that's to bounce it and knock over the wickets. And yeah. I mean it's it that's that's one of those things too. Like the the media is just desperate for the next big thing to talk about and make money off of and keep people's minds occupado and lingerie bowl. Dude, I, I think I watched the puppy bowl and the kitten bowl and the lingerie bowl. I watched them over again after the Super Bowl <laughs> on the DVR. And I haven't looked again at the Super Bowl. Even though it was a great game, I haven't re watched the puppy bowl, the kitten bowl, and the lingerie bowl. That is great American television. Hey, Law's Honey Boo Boo ain't playing. We're good to go. Hey, the Dirtbag's doing all right. They, they they just played, crap, they played Wichita, Wichita State. Oh, that's, last that's why I saw them play. It was against Wichita and State they, about a year and a half ago or two on years ago. On Saturday or Sunday, they, somebody hit the no-hitter for the Dirtbags. Nice. First time in, in history for them. That really? They had a no-hitter against an opponent. So Seriously, they yeah. had the Weavers. They had yeah. a, lot of, a lot of talent come through. The D-Bags, man. Going cool. for it. How much, time, how much time left in their season? Uh, gotta make it up. They got another like two months. Oh, good. That's a head over. They go into. They go deep into May. Actually, that's good. Ride my bike. Have a couple brews. Yeah. Let's go to the dirt bags, man. Let's do it. Tivon pulls out a ten-year-old ID card. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's the one thing that I'm. I'm always leery about every season that I go because it's like. They have to have redesigned this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. Like, I know I can't use it at the pyramid because they swipe them at the uh, pyramid. So see, I like, found my this st- thing hasn't worked I gotta that see way which, in a while. I gotta see time. what yours looks like because I found mine. Of course, I have a big Jerry curl. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it like laminated where there's yeah, a big plastic, clear plastic no, edge around it? looks more like a credit or? card. It looks oh, more okay. like a credit card, yeah. yeah. I didn't know if they had had those back then. You did. It was like they... <laughs> Stamped it. Oh man. Yeah, the the dirtbags though, they're doing all right, man. They they took the series at home against Wichita State. They shocked the shockers. Uh, this when we were was that the game we were at? I, last time I saw them play was against Wichita State. I think they're right. Wichita. They've you made a habit of coming out here the last few years, and I would too if I were Wichita State. Yeah, it's the time especially this time of the year. The time yeah. of year when all those schools back in that part of the country want to go we want to out west or down yeah. south. You know? Exactly. And so it, you know, and they're a good baseball program, so it's always cool to see. That's one of the cool things with the dirtbags is that they do play against a lot of. Uh, high-caliber programs throughout their non-conference schedule. In fact, this weekend, they've got Arizona State. And I I don't remember if they're at home or away for that. But if they're home, they might take any game. Yeah. In fact, I'm supposed to go to a Dirtbags game in two or three weeks. The Delta Chi alumni folks are putting on a thing there where for like 15 bucks we get all-you-can-eat and uh, supposedly an open bar. Ooh. Which I don't know who who agreed to that. For oh, fifteen God. bucks, that seems yeah. like a good deal. Oh, God. Jesus, I'm, I'm a, right? You see me with like some bullshit lettering that I stitched on. I'll teach you. A They're few like, things. hey, wait a second, we ain't uh, uh, we know, they got one black guy and you ain't him. <laughs> we always had at least one. <laughs> Usually only one, but at least one. 
Yeah, I gotta fill that. But no, it's fine. (laughs) Always, you know, be articulate. (laughs) Look at me, I sound like Joe Biden. You do sound like Joe. (laughs) Oh man, I'm so glad this is on the internet forever. It's all right. I was already doomed for public office. Uh, yeah. I think we're all pretty yeah. much settled in. We're not, not, neither one of us has big plans. No, here. no, not in that regard. Conquer any city councils or state senate races or anything like that. No. <laughs> not in his lifetime. Uh, dude, I don't, I don't have anything else, man. Do you want anything sports-wise to talk about? No, you know. You got any... I know it's a little early still, but any baseball predictions there? You know, I'm still formulating those. I've got, I've got to, you know, really <laughs> analyze these uh, spring training games, see who's got what. <laughs> What's happening with March Madness, man? You gonna have that ready to go? We will have March Madness talk in earnest next week because yes. I think conference tournaments start next weekish. So, uh, crap's about to get real. About to get so real. He said up in here. Who, who's uh? Kentucky. Kentucky, Kentucky is undefeated. And how many and more you know games they do they have before they the... They probably have two or three games left in the regular season. Let me just oh, tell you. Wow. The, uh, I get, I get I updates, I get updates like from Sunday, the uh, so. self-proclaimed worldwide leader. Dinner, and they send some stupid ass. I mean, like, they'll say, number one Kentucky's tied with so-and-so with 828 left in the game. So, that's like a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll, come, they'll give you an update. Oh, so and so's ahead. What's six forty six left in the game? Yeah, one like, of my one of my friends sent me a, a picture, a screenshot of his ESPN app on his uh, the notifications on his iPhone from his ESPN app today. He's a Cowboy fan, so he gets Cowboys notifications. And it said Philip Rivers signs one year deal with the Cowboys. Like, <laughs> he said, "Way to go with." With the whole accuracy thing, ESPN. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right. In any way, shape, or form. So, that was amusing. Uh, there you have it. Another edition of T-Bones. Time out. <laughs> Next week on Swoops World, actor James Wilder will be calling in. We'll have a chance to chat with him about some of the things he's got going on. He's won a few awards recently, and uh, I'd like to chat with him. Of course, AD will be with us again next week, as always. We want to thank Andrew Peterson for calling in tonight and uh, having a chance to talk to him. Check out his books, the Nathan McBride series. You can find them just about anywhere, but also on uh, audible.com. And they're read by the who I consider the best narrator or reader in in that genre, and that is Dick Hill. So get a chance to check that out. Any last words of wisdom, guys? No. If you got a big old badass contract, you might want to reconsider. You know, just help out the cap, man. Help out the team. <laughs> All right, man. See, no, Peter, me. looking out for the for the owners as well. <laughs> Dream as if you'll live forever, live as if you die today. We'll see you next week, folks. Good night, all. The Good views night. and opinions hey. expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors.